What's up, Dream Warriors? Welcome to our first episode of our Spooktober special. Um, this whole month, uh, we're changing up the format a little bit, and we're going to be adding a lot of guest spots um, and talking about some really badass movies. And kicking off Spooktober, we are talking about Maniac, which, uh, so the 1980 original Maniac and the 2013 remake as well. Um, but before we dive into it, I'm Mark. And I'm Brooke. And we are joined tonight with Anthony from Porcelain Peak. What's up, knuckleheads? Internet, <laughs> <laughs> Internet darling and dream child, Anthony here from Porcelain Peak. Very happy to have you. I'm yeah, very happy I'm, to be here. I'm excited as well. And uh, your first time guest host, so this is uh, this is good for us. Yeah, it's a big deal for me because, um, you know, I, I don't know if, who listens, who also listens to our show, but I'm uh, in charge of the social media stuff for our show. And um, one of the things I did when we first started growing was I went out and picked the podcasts that I thought, okay, these are the podcasts that I want to eventually collaborate with. And your guys' was one of the first ones that I added like back in April when, when we when I was trying to grow the, the show and the page and everything. So for me, this is a big deal to be on with you guys. Damn. Wow. Really appreciate that. Feels that feels good. Man. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly never thought that we would get to a point where we would show up on your guys' radar. So the fact that we're talking like every day now and mm-hmm. um, actually collaborating on something cool like this, it's dream come true for all of us. I know the other two <laughs> said, I was telling them, I was like, dude, I'm nervous as hell because I, I just am an anxious ball of anxiety all the time but they were like they were so jealous they wanted to be on here um so we'll have to get uh we'll have to get an episode with all of us at some point for sure man like we've we've done uh we did a guest spot on the horror movie crew podcast and there's three of them too so i mean it's definitely doable with five people yeah they're a different beast Um, for sure to to handle and edit but they like the texas chainsaw massacre episode just came out with radio nasties with us and uh it I loved it. I mean, I love going back and listening to how those like crazy episodes end up being edited into something that you can like even understand for sure and and follow. So, yeah. Well, now that you've made us feel, uh, feel good about ourselves. Now that that your egos are even bigger than they were before. (laughs) Definitely. No, uh, I was telling my wife earlier, she's like, so who's the guy that's going to be on tonight? And I said, Oh, his name's Anthony. I said, he's on a podcast called porcelain peak. And she's like, oh, cool. Like, where's he from? I said, California. She's like, no fucking way. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's crazy how much this podcasting can connect people from all over the world. Like, yeah, we talk about that all the time. It, it We seriously, every day, feel like we're living in a dream, not because, not only because of what's going on with the podcast, but also just because of what's going on in the world. Like, everything is so crazy. But the fact that in the middle of all this craziness, we've been able to talk and become pretty good friends with people like you guys in Canada and the horror movie mm-hmm. crew guys there and then radio nasties in the UK. And, um, you know, then you, we have creepy crap over in Australia. Yeah. Um, Daniel. So it's crazy that we've been able to become friends with all you guys and actually make like a horror network across the world. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. awesome. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Anthony, do you want to take a minute and kind of talk about porcelain peak and what you guys do and what you're all about? Yeah, so we are a very shitty podcast. Um, no. <laughs> uh, so Porcelain Peak is a horror and sci-fi podcast where my good longtime friends Tone 
and John um, sit with me in a room and shoot the shit about news relating to horror and sci-fi. Uh, we play some pretty intense and competitive games of trivia mm-hmm. um, where we basically all turn into maniacs and want to uh, tear each other's scalps off. And then, uh, <laughs> and then we'll go into kind of uh, long form discussions, uh, less breaking down movies beat by beat. And we tend to go for the more broader themes of the things that we talk about um, because we're all people who have uh, really, really, I don't want to say educated, but we just have a long time, uh, you know, knowledge about the genres and and we come at at it from different perspectives. So the three of us kind of balance each other out to make conversations that I hope teach people some things, but also make them fall out of their seats laughing. So we try, we think that, uh, people enjoy it. So yeah, that's Porcelain Peak. Definitely. I know I personally thoroughly enjoy listening to you guys and everything that you just said you hope for is what I get from it. So Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you guys really bring a different, uh, I don't know, something different to the genre of podcast that we do, I think. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's something that we ended up leaning into a little bit later because we didn't, I mean, we haven't really known what we were doing until the last few months. Um, we were just kind of winging it because we all were passionate about what we were doing. And, um, you know, I just did a lot of research into how other people's podcasts were. And it made me re- made us all realize that we didn't need to change much about our format because we kind of stood out in a crowd. Um, and even with the name, like I, we always joke that there's this big mystery around what the name means that we haven't revealed, uh, which is true. Um, we're, we're going to reveal that at some point, but even that I feel like stands out, like people see it and they're like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely true. I've always kind of wondered what it is, but yeah, we have a, uh, we'll have a big season three, um, lost style puzzle box mystery around it for you guys to unravel. I think we've got some plans in the work for that. (laughs) That sounds dope. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited for your season three. <laughs> I am too. I've, I've actually been excited for season three since I think I came on for season two, because as soon as, as soon as they got me on to doing the social media and everything, and then we started growing, I was already making plans. I mean, you guys have seen like all of the design stuff that I've been already changing over over the past couple months. Yeah. And then we got all new music. We got Roger Jackson who voices ghost face to do our new intro. Um, Fuck. That's sick. Yeah, yeah. That so we have a cool. yeah. So we have a whole new intro with him, whole new uh, segments, a new format. It's and uh, photos, new photos and stuff of us because yeah. we like to show off our ugly mugs to the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough talking about ourselves. Do you guys want to dive into this movie? Let's do it. it. Yes, sir. All right. So, like we said in the intro, we're talking about the original Maniac from 1980 and the 2012, 2013, depending on where you look, remake. I think it was actually 2012, but yeah, I think I don't so. know. I don't know if it was yeah, like a worldwide so. release on 2013 or what, but um, I'm a delinquent and forgot to write down the synopsises for both of these. So just bear with me for a second. <laughs> 
They're two movies about a maniac. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a maniac named Frank. Uh, okay. Oh. I, what? Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, while you were doing that, I know that you guys usually um, have something to drink on your shows. I don't drink alcohol because um, I always say that the the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story was based off of how I am when I'm drunk. Okay. Um, so uh, I just went ahead and downed a, a bottle of NyQuil before this. I hope that's okay. Fucking right, um, man. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, <laughs> and the game, the game is just to see if I pass out before the end of the recording. Sweet. Um, no, yeah. actually, I, br- I brought a mini Diet Pepsi, so I'll give you guys a little... Little hey, there we go. Can, hey. can crack there. Some Foley work. <laughs> All, right, All right, go ahead. Yeah, I got. Uh, so this is the synopsis from the 1980 original. Um, a psychotic man troubled by his childhood abuse, loose in New York City, kills young women and takes their scalps as his trophies. Will he find the perfect woman in a photographer and end his killing spree? Hmm. Guess we'll have to watch the movie to find out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, should I just rhyme off the the other one now, or yeah, yeah go for uh, it. I'd be interested to see how similar they are. Well, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the synopsis for the 2012 remake: As he helps a young artist with her upcoming exhibition, the owner of a mannequin shop's deadly suppressed desires come to the surface. So it Mm. almost sounds like two completely different movies. Yeah, it really does. I think they do a good job of capturing kind of the differences in style or like in Mm -hmm. tone of the two movies in those synopses. So that's cool. Definitely. Yeah. It's cool that their user submitted synopses too. So like the fact that they were able to differentiate between the two of them is good. Yeah, I feel like that's probably the best for these movies because I feel like the the users, the people who watch these movies are the best ones to talk about it. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Um, so the 1980 original was directed by William Lustig. And uh, he doesn't have a big resume, but the movies that he does have are fairly well known, or at least some of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, so he started off in 1982 with a movie called Vigilante. And then in 19... Well, sorry, I shouldn't say he started off with that one. That was his next one after this, after uh, Maniac. And then in 1988, he directed Maniac Cop, which is one that I just recently watched. Brooke, I think you did too, eh? Yeah, yeah, I did as well. Yeah, I was gonna do I was gonna do Maniac Cop after this, and I haven't got a chance to. I wanted to kind of keep the two maniacs clear in my head for this episode, so I think after I'll watch <laughs> Maniac Cop. <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. good call. Uh, then he did 1989's Hit List, and then again in 1989, he did a movie called Relentless. And then in 1990, he did the sequel to Maniac Cop. And then in 1992, he did Maniac Cop 3. So he's kind of a maniac himself. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it. Jeez. Just loving loving these maniac movies. Uh, And then the remake was directed by Frank Calfoon. Frank with a CK also. That kind of fucked me up a little bit. It's very weird. I don't like that one bit. (laughs) That's like... (laughs) That's like me, like people will ask me, oh, is it Mark with a C or Mark with a K? And I'll be like, oh, it's with a C. And I've actually had people at like Starbucks write down M-A-R-C-K. It's like, where have you ever <laughs> seen this that you think this is a thing? I, t- I typically get pretty lucky with Anthony. Most people don't fuck it up, but I do yeah. sometimes sometimes get like an E-Y at the end. And I'm just like, no, no, guys. <laughs> like, you or, know this name. This is a common yeah. name. <laughs> or I-E or something. 
Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I get family members. My aunt, my aunt still doesn't know how to spell it. I'm like, come on. <laughs> really? Wow. wow. It's not a very uh, like different name. It's not. I mean, my co-host literally has the same name. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we had, like we always just called each other Anthony. And then when the show came around and we started doing it, we we're like, we should probably give one of us a nickname so that people can differentiate when they're talking about us. <laughs> Tone works. Yeah, 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 he likes that. Yeah. All right. So back to Frank Calhoun. In 2007, he this was his first directing credit. In 2007, he directed a movie called P2 which I know I've seen, but I can't really remember it. It's like a woman being chased through a parking garage. Yeah. I think uh, I always see it on like either shutter or one of the streaming sites. And like, I've always kind of been inclined to watch it. So maybe I will. Yeah. I, I remember it being good, but, uh, and then in 2009, he did a movie called wrong turn at Tahoe. No clue what that is. <laughs> uh, 2015 after, uh, which is after this one. He did a movie called I Lived. Then in 2017, he directed a TV miniseries called Lifer. In 2017, again, he directed a movie called the Amityville, or sorry, Amityville, The Awakening, which is one of the 27 movies in the Amityville franchise. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to get around to watching that one for sure. <laughs> After and Amityville that- Resurrection. <laughs> I don't even know if I watched that one. I don't even know if that's a real one. I just made up a name. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, was, I, I was like, at this point, there's got to be an, an Amityville Reloaded. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And then in 2019, he directed a movie called Prey. And he does have a couple that are in like in the future coming up, but mm-hmm. that's all he's got so far. Yeah, I saw also, um, and I mean, there's something we can get into more later, but I immediately watching this movie saw a lot of comparisons to... Um, I mean, obviously, the the remake is produced by Alexander um, Aja, yeah. who a lot of people would know from like High Tension and mm-hmm. the Fr- the French Extremity stuff. So when I was watching this without even knowing that, I was like, "Oh, this reminds me of French Extremity." I guess I guess that the uh, the guy you were just talking about, the director, was actually an actor in High Tension. So I guess that makes oh, sense. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess he played a character in that movie. So or Hot Tension or Switchblade Romance, I guess. In the UK. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's how sorry. Brooke had to watch it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's a very shitty title, and I feel very sorry for the Radio Nasties guys and the Killer Track folks who have to deal with that. But yeah, I thought that was a cool little connection between him and that like genre of horror film. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, touching on that, I guess, uh, I'm going to be getting into Joe Spinell's um, resume a little bit. But William Lustig did 1982's Vigilante, which Joe Spinell is in, and so is Carolyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. who played okay. Anna in this one. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that, that like, is cool. The three of them have kind of had multiple movies together. I always like when directors <clears throat> and actors do that, where they have like a little collective of people that they tend to go back to. Like yeah. Tim Burton and Johnny Depp and yeah, was Bob say, Carter. Yeah. And then Chris Nolan and like uh, Tom Hardy and Michael Caine and like all those same people that he puts in everything. Yeah, that's true. All right. And oh, the, thing, um, the, the thing I wanted to say about Joe Spinell is that as soon as I saw him, I was like, he looks like Ron Jeremy fucked Danny Trejo. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is yeah. fucking hilarious. Cause I was actually going to bring that up in this. Like if there's ever a Ron Jeremy biopic, like, and if Joe Spinell was still alive, like he could have easily played Ron Jeremy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, with all the controversy around Ron Jeremy these days, like it would have been the perfect time to get a Joe oh. Spinell, Ron Jeremy movie. 
for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna bring it up too because like through the whole movie, he's so sweaty during the whole thing, so it just like makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> he's a fat porn star, definitely. But uh, yeah, so we'll head on over to the cast list. I only took like the. I was saying to Brooke earlier today, like there's really only two characters in each movie that we can really talk about. Yeah. Everybody I only, else. I only screenshot the, the two for me each, like to remember the cast. I didn't really care about anybody else. Cause I didn't yeah. remember anybody else. So yeah, I did yeah. the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Like there's only two characters in each movie that are in it for more than like five minutes. So yeah. And they're mostly just fodder to get their uh, throats slashed and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so yeah, in 1980, we have Joe Spinell, who plays Frank, who's the main character. Uh, He, like, I really, really recognized his face. And then I was looking through his movie list, and I was like, okay, I've seen a lot of these, but I don't remember him in those movies. But I obviously do, because his face is really recognizable, but must just be like a subconscious sort of thing. Yeah, he does look really recognizable, but yeah, I didn't recognize him. I, I thought I might have recognized him because I read that he was also in a couple of the Rocky movies and he was in Taxi Driver, which I feel like makes a lot of sense if you've seen this movie. Like this and Taxi Driver, I feel like are very similar uh, films in terms of what they're trying to say mm-hmm. um, and like the characters. So that made a lot of sense to me. But then I realized that the reason he was recognizable was probably because I was just flashing back to some porno I saw when I was in <laughs> high school. <laughs> a Ron Jeremy porno. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Uh, I was but, desperate enough to watch those. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like we said, he was in Rocky and Rocky Two, Taxi Driver, that Vigilante movie. Uh, he was in The Godfather Two. Um, and I lied whenever I said about Vigilante. So him and William Lustig worked together on that, and then Joe Spinell and Caroline Monroe worked together on a movie called The Last Horror Film. So it wasn't the trio together. I okay. fucked that up. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm Get unworthy. off the pot. Get off the set. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, yeah, Joe Spinell did pass away in 1989. So we didn't uh, get to see too much more of him after this movie. No. Kind of crazy only... that it was pretty soon after this movie. Yeah. He was only 52, I think. Or something like that. Yeah. Damn. Did you see how he passed away? I didn't look into it. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, I would imagine it was probably like dehydration from all that sweating. (laughs) (laughs) That's Yeah, I could see it. Uh, And then in this one, um, Anna is played by Caroline Monroe. She she started off as a Bond girl, actually. She was in The Spy Who Shagged Me. Um, Ooh, nice. That makes sense. I thought that was pretty cool. She was a gorgeous actress. Yeah, as so, soon as I saw her, I thought she reminded me of a Bond girl, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, she's also in Slaughter High, uh, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and the last horror film, like I mentioned before. And I'm assuming you guys caught the little cameo that was in this one. The Tom uh, Savini? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 The big head explosion? yes <laughs> yeah the the classic scene like i so something that i didn't even bring up was that this was actually my first time watching both of these movies okay um so for me like that that scene i already knew because i've seen it in like tom savini documentaries and stuff and i've been a, a long time savini fan and for some reason had never gotten around to watching this movie um the story i always tell is that 
my one of my drawing teachers in college uh, when I went to art school was Tom Savini's nephew. Oh, really? Yeah, and he was the sh- he was the shittiest professor I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I think yeah. you and I have talked about this before. I think actually, yeah, he he was terrible. He was just like the most boring. Uh, just yeah, nothing like you would imagine somebody related to Tom Savini uh, is. And then I watched the Tom Savini documentary, and the guy has like sixteen brothers and sisters. So I was like, oh, he probably has never even met this guy who's teaching <laughs> who's teaching me drawing. Yeah, <laughs> this guy just puts Tom Savini on his resume. Like he's not even part of the family. Right. That's how he got into this uh, <laughs> shitty, this shitty college teaching job. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Tom Savini did the, uh, the special effects for the original, but I was, I don't think he did it for the, uh, for the remake. I didn't see his name anywhere. on. No, no it was K and B um, who did the remake. K and B would be like, people would recognize them. They started with evil dead too. And they've been doing oh, okay. makeup. Yeah, and they've been doing makeup for years and years. They're another one of those big like if you think of like a Stan Winston or um like a Tom Savini, they would be up there in that same echelon. Tom Savini's still alive, so I don't know why they wouldn't have gotten him back. Uh, yeah. except except that he's probably at this point, I know that he's largely retired. And so is mm-hmm. Stan Winston. So I feel like it's just they're grabbing the last kind of legendary makeup people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think that the remake would have been better or worse if they brought Savini in? uh graphics wise like effects wise it's hard to say because i think savini has a very he has a style that fits very well into the grindhouse kind of mm-hmm. um genre that the original is that i yeah. feel like maybe would not work for this as well for the sleeker modernized style of the gore in the remake um and i think the gore is very realistic and, and but it's a little bit more over the top when savini does it yeah. And, and yeah, and in that respect, I feel like it maybe was a good choice to go with somebody else for the remake, just to differentiate it a little bit more um, mm-hmm. from the original, which I feel like is something that this movie really did try to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with you. That's something that I bring up later on too. Like the the effects in the remake are so much more realistic and believable than they are in the original. Yeah, like even. More- to me, they're, they're more terrifying for that reason. Like, I, I understand mm-hmm. that that at the time in the 80s, seeing Savini's work would have been just completely jaw-dropping. But having seen so much of that kind of makeup work and people emulating Savini, seeing something that was this just re- crazy realistic, again, it reminded me of French extremity stuff where that's that's what scares me these days. That's what gets me creeped out is this really realistic stuff where you feel like that I can feel it in my scalp Yeah, <laughs> while, while it's happening. Yeah, because like even whenever like whenever Elijah Wood is scalping his victims in this one, like he's he's like tugging at it and like slicing it as he's tugging kind of thing. Whereas Joe Spinell was just like, oh, here's a cut rip. There's your scalp in my hand kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's like he's like he's peeling fruit or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, anyways, we'll move back to the cast. Uh, so in the remake, Frank is played by Elijah Wood. And I mean, if you don't know his name, then get out of here. But, Take a trip uh, to Middle Earth, motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Elijah Wood is like what you've just basically, uh, you just proved my point right there, is that <laughs> he's he's one of those like three actors that are so, that are so, like, I don't know if you want to, no, I don't know what the word is. It's not typecast because they're not. But, they're just in- instantly recognizable as yeah. those people. Like they're forever yeah. tied with the character, that character that they played. 
Exactly. So Elijah Wood with um, Frodo, obviously. And then um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe with Harry Potter. Yeah. And then, um, fuck, I can't remember his real name. Robert Pattinson with Edward Cullen from Twilight. Yeah, those are all pr- the examples that I would have said right off the top of the dome, too. Yeah. yeah. And like, they're all, all three of them are amazing, amazing actors. Yeah. Like, but every time they get cast for something, everyone's all like, oh, why is Robert Pattinson Batman? Like, I don't want my Batman to look like a vampire. It's like, dude, have you watched any of his movies since the Twilight movies? This guy has acting chops like crazy. Yeah, when, as soon as I found out that he was going to be Batman, I was like, uh, hell yeah, I love Robert Pattinson. And the same with Elijah Wood, and especially with him, because he is like an MVP in horror right now. His Spectre Vision um, company put out like Mandy and mm-hmm. uh, those movies that have been huge in the horror community. So f- he's like just one of my favorite creators in general. So for me, I've distanced him from Frodo in my head yeah, by, a large mar- by a large margin. And I've done kind of the same with Radcliffe, even though I have two Harry Potter tattoos. So obviously... F- Harry Potter is a big deal for me. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're all three examples of actors who went on to do amazing work outside of the roles that they were kind of um, potentially pigeonholed into. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel the same way with Elijah Wood. Like he's just, he just does all these weird roles and same with Daniel Radcliffe actually like, but then Robert Pattinson seems like he took like a break in between twilight and then doing these mainstream movies again. And, uh, I feel like Elijah Wood has done these weird, crazy roles and just, I love it. Yeah. It's almost like that's, it seems like this has always been his dream is to do these kind of roles like Sin City and in Maniac and and stuff like that. And he, this has been his dream and Lord of the Rings was kind of his gateway into getting enough clout to do the stuff that he actually wants to do. Mm -hmm. But going back to Elijah, like, I feel like he's a better actor outside of Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. Yeah. His movies that he's not playing Frodo, he's better. Well, he has a lot more opportunity to do different stuff and a lot more range. Because especially in Lord of the Rings, it's an ensemble movie. Like you spend a huge portion of those three movies with other characters who are also amazing actors. You have people like Ian McKellen, Viggo Mortensen in those movies. Uh, Hugo Weaving, like of course, uh, Elijah Wood, especially then being a kind of newer actor on the scene, unless you had seen uh, what, like The Good Son or... (laughs) Or yeah. his cam- his cameo in Back to the Future Part Two, um, you know he wasn't really a big deal. So he, I'm glad that he's getting roles where he's able to kind of show us that he does have acting chops outside mm-hmm. of playing a little Hobbit man. Was the faculty before or after Lord of the Rings? Because he was in that too for. Oh, I believe I it was before. I believe it was before, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I haven't seen that movie in years, so I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, faculty was 98. Okay. So he's a little baby boy. Yeah. So yeah, obviously he's in the Lord of the Rings franchise. Um, he's in Green Street Hooligans, which is one of my favorite movies outside of horror. Uh, I don't know if you guys haven't watched that. I highly recommend it. What I was it called not. again? Uh, Green Street Hooligans. Okay. I'll write it down. Cause I definitely want to check it out. Uh, he was in Wilfred, that TV show, but uh, like his imaginary dog, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I watched I watched that for like two seasons and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then it just got too weird for me. But I'm a lot weirder now than I was back then. So maybe I'll go back and rewatch that show, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he was in I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Um, I wrote this one down because like I had zero expectations for this movie and it ended up panning out to be amazing. 
There yeah. was a one. There was one kill scene in it. And I was just like, "Holy shit!" I did not expect that. Was that with the uh, throwing star? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just watched that movie for the first time with my girlfriend like two weeks ago, and we had a really good time with it. Yeah, it was good. It was yeah, good. it was fun. Uh, and then obviously we've talked about Sin City already, but yeah, he he played. I think his character in that movie was probably my favorite in the two Sin City movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Because he played like that. Uh, I can't remember what his name was. I think it was Kevin or something like that. Yeah, it was Kevin. Yeah, yeah you're right. Kevin. Yeah. And he was just like this creepy, like cannibalistic lizard rat kind of guy. Like he was just like scurrying around everywhere. I don't know. I think he did a, an amazing job. Yeah, in that he was one. definitely creepy in that movie. Yeah, I think the weirder he's allowed to get with his roles, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I almost in this movie that we're going to be talking about in the remake would have liked to have seen him get even kookier after having yeah. seen him in, in some of his other movies that he's done since then. Mm-hmm. Like I would have liked to have seen him get crazy Elijah Wood because he can definitely just get very uncomfortable. Like it, he, yeah. he plays, he plays awkward and uncomfortable very well. Yeah, he does. And I think that was, that might be one of the main reasons why he was cast for this movie too, because like Frank is a very uncomfortable kind of person. Now each movie, the Frank uncomfortableness is different. Like Mm -hmm. Joe Spinell is like fat and not a very attractive person. So it's like, it's kind of awkward in that sense where he like kind of knows what he looks like. And he's like scared to talk to girls. Whereas Elijah Wood is more like, um, like he seems more like anxiety stricken. Yeah. And like that kind of, that kind of awkwardness. Yeah. 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 He, I know a lot of people complained about his casting because they were such big fans of Joe in the original. But as soon as I heard that he was cast in this, you know, long before having seen it, I thought it was perfect because to me, the scariest ser- ser- type of serial killer is the one that you wouldn't imagine could do the horrible things that they do. And Elijah Wood is the most innocent looking doe eyed, timid person and i think his timid performance is really what makes this movie special as opposed mm-hmm. to the very very grimy like why would any woman go near this man portrayal mm-hmm. that that joe gives it and i mean there are serial killers in both realms that they re- that i think they relate to like elijah wood everybody complains that he's too attractive for the role but you think of someone like ted bundy who his entire mo was he was attractive enough to lure women in yeah and then you, and, and then with Palmer. joe spinell yeah, exactly. And then with Joe Spinell, he's a lot more in line with like a son of Sam, David Berkowitz type, who maybe isn't attractive, but is still able to tear your scalp he's, off. He's almost like charismatic in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Like he's able to draw them in still somehow. Yeah, exactly. Um, fuck, there's something that I wanted to say while we were talking about. The- oh, that's it. Um, With Elijah, that's like one of the main reasons why I love this like first person view that we see in the remake um because you don't see elijah's face until like 12 minutes into the movie yeah Yeah. so he's already had his first kill and i think he's going for a second one before we see his face yeah i mean it's a it's a really ballsy choice i think and um especially with the fact that i mean the original has very very uh very very apparent like voyeuristic tones that that you would say would be a reference to like Hitchcock movies. There's a lot of Hitchcock sort of uh, through lines through the original movie. And in this one, they do that voyeuristic thing, but they push it to the nth degree. So obviously it's even more, you're in the shoes of the killer, which you don't get super often in slasher movies. You're usually meant to empathize with the, the victim, but as horror fans, I think usually we're the ones rooting for the killer. So to put us in his shoes, I think was a, a really smart choice. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, okay, and Anna is played by Nora Ar- Arnazeter. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not. Nailed but, uh, it, man. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> She's a French actress. Um, so a lot of her roles are more in the French cinema, but she may be recognized from Safe House, uh, the TV show called Zoo that came out a few years ago and ultimately got canceled, I believe. Um, and then another movie that's coming out this year, it says, but it's got Christina Ricci and it could, it's called uh, Faraway Eyes. And it sounded kind of interesting. So, well, I do love Christina Ricci. So, ever Who since doesn't? Casper, <laughs> that's right. I had a big crush on her and Casper. Yeah, yeah Casper and uh, Adam's family. I was like, this is the girl that I yes. want in my life. And then I grew up, and my girlfriend is uh, a little goth girl. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so it worked out. <laughs> you. Uh... You knew what you wanted and you went for it. Exactly. <laughs> um, we kind of jumped ahead, like not ahead, but we talked uh, tangent on Roger Wood. Anthony, have you seen Come to Daddy yet? I have, yeah. Oh, yeah, fuck. yeah. Fucking great movie. Yeah, it's super fun. I was like, I have no fucking clue what this movie is, like where it's going at any point. And, I, and it's, again, another example of him playing just like a, a wacky, weird character. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I, I love when he's surrounded by other weird people, too, in whatever movie he's in. Yeah, because he's just this normal, like, non-social guy who doesn't want to do anything. Then, like, he kind of has to change his character into this, like, crazy, weird guy and just do shit he doesn't want to do and feels uncomfortable doing. Which, I mean, uh, is is pretty similar to what he does in this movie in Maniac, because it's yeah. very much, you know, he's, the whole movie, he doesn't want to be doing, it seems, what he's been, what he's been doing. At least that's what he's trying to portray, is that he feels guilty about what he's doing, um, but he's doing it anyway, so it that is something that I didn't even realize was kind of similar between the two performances. Yeah. See, I found in this one, he like, I, I felt he was more anger driven than, than Frank or than Joe Spinell was like, I feel like, I feel like Joe portrayed more of that remorsefulness than, than Elijah did. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I I think that with Spinell, the, the regret and everything is a lot more visceral and it's a lot more, uh, they don't play on it as much in the remake. You kind of get the reveal toward the end that his entire front about this thing being something he doesn't want to do and something that he feels remorse about is kind of a lie that he's putting on because in reality, he seem he thinks that he's kind of doing the right thing. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's killing these women to save them um, because he's uncomfortable in his own skin. And with the idea of beauty, which they play a lot with like the mannequins in this movie, um, but yeah, it, toward the end, it's kind of like, well, maybe he wasn't remorseful at all and that he's just pretending to maybe make himself feel better or to make the women feel better in some way, yeah. um, like their memories. So yeah, I, I agree that by the end, Elijah Woods killer, his maniac seems a lot more like he actually has the intention of doing what he's doing as kind of an art piece. He seems to see beauty in this ugly thing that he's creating a lot more than Spinell's maniac did. All right. Uh, is there any other people on the cast that you guys want to talk about like i didn't see any cameos in the remake at all i don't know if there was any um not that i'm aware of it i think that we pretty much covered everybody that you need to know about to get through the entire plot of this movie it's you really don't need to worry about anybody else except when they're being killed (laughs) all right yeah brooke you agree agree. Uh, yeah i agree with him yeah all right um so do you guys want to dive in and start talking about these then yeah Yeah, let's do it let's do it a little so I think for, 
I don't know, to save time a little bit, we're not going to go through the full movie, like scene by scene, how Brooke and I normally do. Oh, um, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because no. we're doing two movies. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, is there any scenes that you guys want to bring up and discuss? Like, talk yeah, about just it before all? we get into it, I just, Anthony already mentioned it before, but uh, I just recently watched the original um, Maniac maybe like a month ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I haven't seen the remake since it came out. First came out in 2012, 2013. Yeah. I was curious, Mark. What about you? Um, what's your experience with both these movies? I'm I'm the exact same as you, man. Like I watched the remake very shortly after it came out, and I had no idea that it was even a remake. I thought it was just the movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, me too. And then like. As the years kind of went on, I I had heard about the original, obviously, but I never ended up watching it. And I I don't know if I didn't end up watching it because I enjoyed the remake so much. So I didn't want it to like, I didn't want the original to be better than the remake. And then for me to not like the remake anymore, if that makes yeah. any sense at all. Yeah, um, totally. It's kind of like the, the Nightmare on Elm Street theory in a sense like people that have never seen the original nightmare on elm streets they like the remake um almost better because it's all that they knew before before seeing the robert england version yeah yeah i talk i talk a lot or i've talked a lot about this with daniel from creepy crap podcast because he's a big fan of like the texas chainsaw massacre remake and he he's really big into remakes and we talked about it because we both grew up you know, and around it, and I'm, and I'm sure you guys were kind of in that period where remakes were the, all the rage. Um, mm-hmm. I'm 28. So for me, it hit me like right when I was in middle school to early high school and everybody was obsessed with these remakes. And so for me, yeah, I'm a fan of the Texas Chainsaw remake. I, but I absolutely hate the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, but I have tons of friends who don't really care for the original Nightmare on Elm Street because they're horrible, horrible demon people or something but yeah <laughs> they uh yeah they love the remake because they just don't see that it's such a bastardization of the original but um, that's what made me so happy about watching these movies is that they are very different interpretations of the same idea and and they aren't and they aren't really like they are movies you could watch back to back and feel like you watch two different movies as opposed to like oh my god i'm sitting through maniac again that's yeah that's a good point because like i watched uh actually I'll go back to Brooke's original question, but yeah, um, I haven't watched the remake since it first came out basically. And then, um, Brooke, I only watched the original after you had watched it and said that it was really good. I think I only watched the original, like maybe three weeks ago for the first time. Yeah. Um, and Anthony, I think you're in the same boat as us for the remake. Oh, well, never mind. You already said that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for me, the reason that I hadn't watched them, uh, actually, I don't really know. I think, when the original, when the remake came out, I was at an age where I wasn't actually old enough to be going to the movies all the time by myself. And mm-hmm. so horror movies were a lot less accessible. I was only able to see horror movies that showed up on like AMC marathons on TV. So that was like the Halloween movies, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, so for the, the more like Grindhouse or the stuff that's a little bit more indie, I didn't get a chance to see it. So it wasn't until the last couple of years that I even found out about maniac through like a uh, last drive-in with joe bob doing his maniac episode and then mm-hmm. and uh so for this i decided to watch it without joe bob and then i watched the remake and i was like damn i feel like such a fool for having never seen these before yeah yeah they're really good both of them yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and touching on anything your point like i 
watched the original last night and then I watched the remake today and it like I was not bored at all watching the remake like no it it's it almost I touch on it later on in my notes here but it's almost like a different movie like it it almost doesn't feel like a remake at all yeah it's just like so different in every every like it does its callbacks for sure to mm-hmm. the original but it doesn't beat you over the head with that stuff and it isn't just like it, you know the example that I always use is it's not a Gus Van Sant psycho you know it's yeah. where he just he just shot for shot remade the movie with Vince Vaughn yeah. like it, you know in this they they had an idea and they took it in a different direction which yeah. I feel like is very important like you know I was just talking with Chuck about Invisible Man like that's an example of a movie that is technically a remake but is a vastly different movie than the original definitely yeah yeah, yeah the remake of that one's like just pure terror mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you mentioned the callbacks to the original in this remake. Did you guys catch the little homage to the remake or to the original? Whenever uh, Frank's on that date at the start, I was going to mention that. I was going to mention that too. Yeah. <laughs> when, she's, when she's like, uh, "I'm glad you're not a, a greasy, like long haired guy or whatever that thing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fat, yeah. black hair. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> she just. Full on calls out Joe Spinell in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> no, she's not at all. I would much rather show up to a blind date and or a date and have it be Elijah Wood than Joe Spinell. Sorry, rest in peace, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, just like a funny thing that kind of pissed me off at the very start of the the remake movie. Whenever Frank is in like the apartment building and he like cuts the panel board with his knife. I was like, okay, you would uh, get electrocuted so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was something that I, like, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but um, while he did it, I was just like, yeah, that would never happen like that. No, but you're, uh, like, you're like, man, I can't watch this movie now. My, my suspension of disbelief is just right out the window. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but both like opening scenes of both movies are so like they don't really make sense. I feel like they're just kind of like throwing in like the kill at the start because like the first maniac is just these, this couple out of like a random beach just like staying there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then Frank just comes up and kills the girl and then kind of similar. It's a bit different for the remake because he's kind of stalking this girl. So it kind of makes like a bit more sense in the, the remake. Mm hmm. I don't understand why Joe Spinell's character killed the girl's boyfriend in the first one either. Like he waited around to kill him. Yeah. To me, the the opening of this movie. Um, so I read in the trivia that they wanted to basically just do the scene from jaws, but from the perspective of the shark, mm. um, which makes okay. a lot of sense. But when you think of how the Frank character, like what his, his MO is in this movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense that he would go out to an open beach and kill a couple. Like to me, yeah. the rest of the rest of the movie kind of says, no, he goes out in like this, the dark grungy city and he kind of blends in with the city and stalks people, women specifically and kills them. And that's his thing. So the, yeah. the beginning is very confusing in yeah. the original as to what kind of serial killer he is. So I don't think it's a very good setup. I mean, I see what they were going for, but um, to, to me, it felt a lot more like Zodiac killer than it did. Um, you know, anything from the rest of this movie. Yeah. 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 Definitely agree there. That's why I thought the remake nailed it. Like I, I had a huge smile on my face when he stabbed her through the chin. 
Um, that kill was so fucking cool. Oh yeah, I, it, that came out of nowhere <laughs> for me because like I haven't seen this in so long, so I don't really remember very much from it. And just like yeah, the stab through the under the mouth was was sick. Yeah, he's, behind, he, he's behind her, so like you think that he's with her, like they're just getting back from a date or something like that. And then she turns around and he's like, oh, don't be scared or whatever. And then just fucking knife through the jaw. Yeah, he's like, don't be scared. Don't be scared. You're so beautiful. And then he, he, he like stabs her. And then we get to watch. I mean, it sets up what the, the, the filmmaking style is going to be because we get to just sit there and watch as he slowly scalps her. And mm-hmm. the credit comes up, which I think is just, it's artful. Chef's kiss, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I like how in, uh, <laughs> In the remake, Elijah uses his big, gigantic fucking hunting knife. And then yeah. Frank uses his little, little tiny, like, box cutter knife in the first one. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> Until to spoil. he pulls out that big sword thing. Yeah, not to spoil my scores on on their, uh, my D&D scores for the, these characters, but I definitely put Elijah Wood with a little bit higher intelligence because I feel like he's a little bit craftier in terms mm-hmm. of the, the kind of kills that he makes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah um all right so is there any specific scenes besides the ones that we just talked about yeah so in the original the only i mean we already talked about the shotgun scene being pretty iconic the the only thing that i wanted to bring up is that apparently they didn't have permits to do a lot of those scenes so they they just had to shoot the scene and then dip as quickly as possible before the cops showed up (laughs) um (laughs) savini used the same dummy in dawn of the dead and by the time they finished it with this movie it was so soaked in blood and destroyed that the, he says that they put it in the trunk of the car and they sunk it in the east river really yeah huh. i i knew that he had used the same dummy but i didn't know that second part that's crazy yeah and then the other scene that um stood out to me as maybe being kind of an homage would be i called it the carry slash psycho scene where the, the he's talking to his mother at the grave and then the hands come out yeah um that's like classic you know, uh, Savini kind of like zombie horror look. And, um, mm-hmm. I really loved that scene, especially cause you hear the, the mother's voice and that's very psycho Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, and then this, and then the subway scene in both movies, I think, um, stand out as just a really good stalking scene to kind of show what his process looks like. What yeah. scene was that? Sorry. I missed. So there's a scene in both movies in the subway where he's stalking oh, in the first yeah, one. He's, yeah, yeah. He stalks the woman to the bathroom or whatever. And then she thinks that he's gone. And then he shows up and stabs her um, through the back. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, and then, yeah, go I ahead. was going to say that the only thing that I thought watching that scene was that subways are so fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like in like, the original. Like, yeah. Sorry. Like I felt like so much more disgusted watching it in the original movie than the remake. Yeah, and I mean, they changed cities, um, which I didn't realize, I think, until I was looking at this again, because in the original, it's yeah. set in New York, and then in the remake, it's in LA, which somebody who, myself living in California, I hate LA, because it's it's gross, and busy, and crowded, and smoggy, so uh, watching this movie in LA, I was like, yeah, I can totally believe that it's a, a city where a serial killer would live, um, LA's a shitty place, New York's a shitty place, Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, and I've been to both. But I feel like they do a really good job in both, but especially in the original, in the original of having the city kind of reflect his, who Joe is, or who Frank is like as a, as a person, he kind of blends into the city as this gross, disgusting kind of uh, playground for him to play in. And it yeah, does a, it, yeah. And, and in the original, they do a really good job of having the newscasts and all that stuff to really show that his 
what he's doing is affecting the rest of the city. He's kind yeah. of, it reminded me a lot of, of like what they did with taxi driver and then obviously Joker, um, yeah. more, more recently. Yeah. That's actually a really good point that you made about like how, how Joe or how they use the cities to kind of almost represent who each character is. Cause like Joe is like, he's grungy, he's gross, he's sweaty, he's fat. He like, he's just, he's New York city. Sorry for anybody that's listening. That's from New York city. I've been there a few, <laughs> I've been there a few times and like, yeah, there is a lot of beautiful places there, but all in all it's, it's a pretty dirty city. And yeah. then you have Joe or uh, Elijah who is like kind of clean cut. He's, prim he's proper he dresses nice he's not a sweat bag um so that's kind of almost like i guess the misinterpretation of la people think that it's all glitz and glamour but yeah so i think that they they went with different angles to where uh joe's frank seems a lot more of, of a direct reflection of the city that he's in where mm-hmm. elijah seems a lot more like somebody who looks a certain way but inside he's kind of reflecting the underbelly the dirty part of the city that LA actually has that a lot of people don't realize it has because they think Hollywood and glamour. Yeah. But yeah, Elijah is definitely a person that you wouldn't be surprised to see walk into like a Starbucks in LA. You wouldn't immediately think this guy's a psychopath, but if, exactly. if Joe Spinell walked into your coffee shop anywhere, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to, even if we weren't social distancing, you'd be like, Hey, I'm going to stay away from this guy with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the, I do like how in the in Joe in the original, whenever he goes to Anna's apartment for the first time, he's dressed up in this like nice fashion, the sunglasses, and like he's talking like all proper, like like trying to you know get into this woman's life, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and it That's shows what, that that he can put on like different faces. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant at the start of this. Like he's he's kind of charismatic in the sense that yeah, he's ugly as shit, but he can still get in with these women mm-hmm. yeah because he understands the city so he understands like what he has like if he has to dress up and look like a fancier maybe uh you know art director or photo shoot guy or whatever he can put on that face yeah. so that he blends in with those kind of other fat sweaty schmucks who are running all the businesses and things in new york mm-hmm. yeah. and i like too how they differentiate like between the eras like joe or sorry yeah joe he goes and gets a prostitute, whereas Elijah does like the online dating route. Yeah, like there's still well. prostitutes. Oh, were you? No, like literally what you're about to say. I was going to say the same thing. Like okay. pretty much like online dating these days is like I don't not a knock on say, like online dating and Tinder, but it's pretty much like a new wave of like prostitution, pretty much, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's just a new scary way to set yourself up with potentially dangerous people. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, even recently, my brother was telling me that he was on Tinder because I haven't been on it for a really long time. And he was saying there's some feature you can add now to immediately call the police if you find yourself in a situation where you are with Elijah Wood or Joe Spinell. Wow. Um, That's good. Yeah. And I'm like, that's great. And it immediately, my mind, of course, went to all the horror movie situations you could end up in going on a Tinder date. Yeah. Um yeah. And so in this, to me, I was like, yeah, absolutely. The scary situations you can get into feel very real in this movie. Um, that you find yourself getting wrapped up in this guy who's seemingly great based on his pictures and stuff, but he's yeah. a completely different dark person, which I feel like is every Tinder day I've been on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
My wife's cousin had like a very scary situation happen to her back when we still lived in a bigger city than what we do now. Um, I'm not going to get into detail on it, but like she came back and she was like visibly shaken. And I was like, why the fuck? Like she lived with us. It's like, why wouldn't you have called me? Like I could have went and picked you up or something. She's like, well, no, I didn't want to bother you. I was like, don't be a fucking, don't be crazy. Like, <laughs> like he didn't do anything to her, but it was just the stuff that he was saying. I was just like, Oh my God. Like, okay, you're getting off the online dating. Yeah. It's, it's scary, especially for women. And these movies are obviously a prime example of the danger that women are in a lot of the time when they do go around, especially in these big cities, which, which, which of course speaks to how controversial both of these movies, but especially the original were, mm-hmm. um, especially with, with women's groups. I mean, this movie, yeah, we all know if you're a horror fan that horror movies predominantly are about violence against women. And that's something that, that they're trying, that directors are trying to kind of pivot away from with more modern horror movies. Yeah. Um, but this movie really, the 80s one, both of them really push that to a point where it's very uncomfortable and so real that I can absolutely understand people walking out. Like, I guess um, with Siskel and Ebert, Siskel, I guess, just got up and walked out of the movie when Savini's head got blown off. Yeah, like, I read that. Yeah, he was like, this is too much. I don't, I, this, this is awful. <laughs> yeah. And then we're sitting there just like, you know, laughing our asses off at how amazing it is. <laughs> I want more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All but right. uh, what uh, I liked more about like the, the first one um, was how uh, they didn't have to do like any explaining or like flashbacks or like any of those visions that they did in the sequel to like explain why Frank was like the way he was. Like I felt like Joe's performance really told you like what, how he felt and like what happened in his past. Whereas mm-hmm. Elijah's Frank, it had to, you know, give these little like visions of him having these spells that people like looking at him all the time, whereas like mom, like having sex in the middle of the street when he was a kid, like I felt like they, that wasn't needed to show what he was like. Yeah. I think that the remake definitely pushes the mental illness aspect um, to, uh, it, it really tries to push that a lot more than the original did, because I think the original, the intention was a lot more focused on the kills and the gore and the grindhouse feel. And this one, it looks like it feels like it's trying to be more of a psychological piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, in the original, I really liked that too. I think that they did it, they handled it better. Um, cause I always like a movie that, it, that, you know, follows the less is more mentality. So if I can pick up his backstory just through his actions, then I feel like obviously that's always going to be better than having us having it spelled out and potentially wasting good runtime, yeah. um, in a movie with flashbacks that we potentially don't need. Yeah. And like, in the eighties, like mental health wasn't really a thing back then either. Yeah. Whereas like in 2012, people were a lot more woke, if you want to call it that <laughs> towards mental health. <laughs> yeah. That's like, a really great point. Like people, people are understanding it a lot more. And that's, that's something that I think is a, is both an, uh, an advantage and a detriment to the remake because the remake in some parts, I feel like pushes that to an unbelievable yeah. area. Mm-hmm. Um, to a point that I know a lot of people now in 2020 who know about mental health don't like to see schizophrenia and stuff like that portrayed in this way in movies because it's not terribly realistic. Um, And it also obviously leans into the stereotype that people with mental illnesses are dangerous. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, Which as someone who deals with mental health issues and I've been vocal about it on the show and we all have, um, you know, it didn't offend me, but I can understand why people who maybe suffer more 
could be turned off by what the remake decided to do uh, with that character. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting and I like that they took different approaches. I just agree that maybe the remake or the flashbacks in the remake weren't necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of scenes, I, uh, just to finish up on that for the remake, a couple that stood out to me would be the um, the mannequin. I call it the mannequin Nad scene. So when he's looking in the mirror <laughs> and his, he's like, yeah. he's, he's like turned into a Ken doll. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we can compare these scenes if we want, but the head scalping scene in the end when he's seeing like all of his victims come and just tear his face off. That was one of the comparisons that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think both do it incredibly, but there's something so nightmarish about the way that the remake does those almost, almost like Lynchian strange, uh, dream sequences that he has with the mannequins that I feel like are done to a lot more disturbing, um, to a disturbing extent than the original did them. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, what I didn't get with that particular scene in the remake, like they rip his face off and then it's like, I don't know if they're trying to pay tribute to Savini. Cause like the way that his face looks at the end of it, it almost looks like how Joe Spinell's did at the end of the original. Like you could very much tell that it was like a dummy head that they were ripping off. Uh huh. Yeah. And then Elijah's head looked similar to that whenever he was just laying there after they'd ripped the skin off of him. Yeah, I think what they were going for was after they ripped his skin off and stuff, underneath all his skin was his mannequin head. Oh, like okay. A mannequin, I think. Yeah, that's the interpretation that I had too, was that it's kind of, you know, the whole movie in, in both, I think, but especially in the remake is about Frank being uncomfortable in his own skin and yeah. feeling that and feeling that by killing and skinning women he's freeing them of kind of like the curse of beauty because to him to him beauty since his mom was a prostitute is kind of like a sin like some sort of evil thing that he has to rid the world of um so in the end in the remake when he's revealed that mannequin it's kind of showing that he's been putting on a front he's been one of these mannequins this entire time like he Mm -hmm. none of this stuff has really affected him in the way that he's portraying it like you see him screaming and stuff but in reality he he's just a shell of a person. Um, yeah. So that was kind of my interpretation. I don't know if that's hundred percent accurate, but that's kind of where I went yeah. with it. I like yeah. that. And that kind of answers one of my questions about the, like both movies too. Like why, why is he scalping the women and putting the hair on the mannequins? But cause like, they don't really explain that. Like we know why he's messed up because of like the traumatizing events that he's gone through with his mother and whatnot. But like we don't, they don't really explain like why he turned to the scalping and like why he turned to, um, to putting like to putting the hair on the mannequins. But I, <clears throat> I mean, they leave it up to your own interpretation, and I think I do agree with with what you guys just said. Yeah, like yeah. I, I think. Th- oh, sorry. Go ahead, Anthony. I was just going to say that I think that one of the important things that was brought up when I was watching a review of the original is that, and in the remake, is that you would expect that his motivation, like a lot of serial killers who kill women would be sexual, but he doesn't sexually assault the women and he's not a rapist. As far as we can tell, um, he is just a man who is violent toward women for a a different reason outside of sexuality. He's actually, it seems been sexually repressed by the things that he went through with his mother, which is obviously understandable. Um, so he, he doesn't even know how to, how to have a sexual outlet 
it, it seems yeah. in either. And especially in the remake with how awkward he's almost like what, you know, the, the term incel that everybody kind of throws around now for that type of guy um, who's, who sees himself as almost like a forced celibate. Um, you know, that's kind of the vibe that he get, gives off. And it's because he doesn't have a normal outlet for these feelings that he has about women. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was going to say, I think in the remake, um, he's, he's like a mannequin, like redesigner, like he redesigns, refurbishes these mannequins. Yeah. Like maybe cause his mother was like a sinner and there's all these awful things. Maybe he's like recreating her and trying to make this like perfect room with all the different hair and different like arms and legs and stuff. Maybe I'm not too, uh, maybe something like that. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Like he's trying to recreate his mother or, um, it could be like his way of having some control over beauty. Like he sees the hair as a symbol of beauty. And so maybe like, because the mannequins don't fight back and they don't have any personality, mm-hmm. he can kind of relate to them better. So he, he, he captures their beauty and then he can somehow relate to the mannequins because he himself is, you know, a fake person. Yeah. And like neither, neither characters want to be doing these things. Like I think, uh, both, um, actors do a great job of, portraying that like with when they break down and start crying because they like they don't want to keep doing this but this person keeps making them do it yeah and you don't see that a lot in slasher movies usually the slasher seems to give no shits about what they're doing um and so yeah that to me was part of what made the original and this so compelling as entries in the slasher genre is that they really do try to give you a different perspective that you don't see and i'm i'm curious why you don't see it more often um, but I'm kind of glad cause it, it's what makes these movies stand out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to bring it back around to Anthony. You said that like, if he's trying to recreate his mother, I had originally had that thought in my head, but like he, you would think if he was trying to do that, he would stick to like one type of woman, like yeah. one hairstyle or hair color or something like that. Like he doesn't care. Like he goes for a redhead, he goes for a blonde, he goes for a brunette, like, it changes throughout the movie. Like, I don't know if he just picks out like the most beautiful woman in the room and then tries to take that from her. Like if yeah. that's what a demo is or. Yeah, that's a really but, good point. And I, I think that he is maybe it's less that like he's trying to recreate his mom and more. Cause I don't know if we get an indication of how his mom died in either movie, but I know that a, a common thing for serial killers is they have who are violent against women is that they have these, these real these relationships with their mothers where they want to enact this violence on their mother and their mother ends up passing away, you know, before they get that opportunity. So they, for the rest of their lives or until they're incarcerated, they enact that endless violence that they're never going to be able to fill that hole because the mother is not around. So it's like, Mm -hmm. if he could just, if he could just kill his mother, he would be free of this curse. But since she's been robbed from him, he takes it out on just women, you know, beautiful women in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up was uh, that I kind of hated, but really liked in the remake was the uh, the like the parking lot kill when he's chasing the girl through the the subway. Like I was getting so mad during that whole scene because there's like she's in the subway and there's people down there, but then like no one ever hears her or something like that. Yeah, that kind of bothered me too. I wonder then, if that's supposed to be some sort of commentary on like. Uh, how people nobody pays attention yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah nobody crazy. pays attention to you in a big city and then whenever she's she runs into this parking lot area i don't know why she did but then he like locks her in and 
I didn't get how she just couldn't climb the fence because she is like this trapeze artist, you know, who clearly has like upper body strength. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, this is a little like nitpick that I, I thought was kind of dumb. I think it's because she kept stopping and, and thinking to herself, was that Frodo from Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah. He's a lot she taller than I remember. Yeah, she got that guy's autograph. <laughs> yeah. But I do like how in both movies, um, each character like plays to like how they're built. Like Elijah, you know, he hides away like under the car or behind a door and just kind of has to sneak in and kill people. Whereas, you know, Frank it, or um, uh, Joe. Joe is this big brooding guy, you know, who just does whatever the fuck he wants, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Elijah Wood, I feel like I feel like if Elijah Wood sneezed too hard, he would fall apart. So it's <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree that they obviously had to take different angles with these guys, like how they hunt their prey. Mm-hmm. I feel like Elijah was almost like semi jacked in this movie, though, because whenever he's in the apartment with Anna, she slashes his arm, and he looks down at his arm, and like it looks ripped. Yeah. Like there's it's there's veins all through it. Like it looks like a solid forearm. I don't know. All that walking across Middle Earth carrying that <laughs> ring. Uh, you know, you, you you get some uh, six-pack abs. <laughs> <laughs> um one question that I wanted to ask you guys, which relationship did you like better? Like between um Frank and Anna, like the original or the remake? The remake. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I I like the original, I think. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. You're wrong, but that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the relationship in the remake was just like, it felt more natural. Cause like, and we're going back to looks and shit and we shouldn't be, but like Elijah's a better looking guy than Joe was. So it makes more sense that Anna and him would have that relationship. Well, and in, in, in the original, she kind of, the way they meet is different. And I feel like it it really does make a difference in how the relationship develops. Because yeah. in the original, she kind of stumbles upon him when he's being kind of a weirdo already. That's true. Um, in the remake, they meet each other because she's taking photos of his mannequins. And she's more appreciative of like the, the artwork that he does, you know, like the, the business. And she's more interested in him. you know obviously not knowing all this secret stuff about him and to me that makes immediately that sounds seems a lot more realistic and it feels a lot more like a way that two people would actually have a meet cute in real life um and and i just felt like it probably is a lot with to do with the fact that i can relate to elijah wood a lot better than i can relate to joe spinell yeah you know being in a relationship with a beautiful woman you know immediately my my disbelief is out the window when it comes to joe spinell with getting with any chick that he's he's not forcing you know so yeah. so it's a bit more believable my, in the remake i think that's where my mindset is too but brooke i really want to hear yours so like with mine like i feel like in the remake it was just kind of like thrown together for like the story to get like the mannequins into the story like she mm-hmm. just walks by and he sees her and she's he's like oh what are you doing and she's like oh i take pictures of mannequins for a living and i was like it seems kind of like too I don't know, easy to throw in there. Weird like she almost she yeah. almost seems like the serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh and then like in the original, I just cause Frank sees her taking pictures in like the park and stuff. And then he shows up at her place, you know, dressed up and pretending like, oh, what is this picture? Why don't you sell it? And like pretending to be this like art 
guy who knows everything about art and pictures. So I think they connect like on kind of like a like a business level kind of thing. Like maybe she's not really interested in like who he like what he is, like what he looks like, but maybe this guy can help me sell my art or something like that, you know, like pictures yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I mean that's a really good point and that that makes that relationship in the original make any sense if you are going off of Joe Spinell just being a a gross you know, yeah, lump, for sure. lump. It makes a lot more sense <laughs> that, that she wouldn't immediately ditch him if her idea is, well, he can help me get somewhere. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 Especially like in New York, she's if, to, to have somebody come to her and be like, Hey, I can make you famous or whatever. I can help you yeah. in New York. I'm sure every starving artist is jumping at the chance to do that. Yeah. yeah. She might live there because of that reason. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel like the, uh, did you guys watch you that show on Netflix? I yeah, did, yeah, yeah. So I feel like the remake relationship kind of reminds me of that relationship in the first season. That's an excellent comparison. I hadn't That's even thought about funny that. Funny because his name is Joe in that as well. That oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm wondering now because those are that show is based on a series of books. I would be interested yeah. to go see if the writer was inspired by Maniac in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah, or it's just a, a coincidence. But yeah, that's a really good comparison. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, I, 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 that's just like while I was watching it, it just kind of reminded me of I, his name was Joe. What was her name? Beck, Bex or Beck yeah, it, it was uh, Beck, yeah. and then and then Love in the second season. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it reminds me of Joe and Beck in yeah. like, their first season. Definitely, um, the 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 actresses even look kind of similar. Yeah, uh, they do. Yeah, uh, for the uh, the apartment kill, whenever he breaks into like both girls' apartment and kills them. Why do you think in the remake, Elijah was so like, he seems so much more angry at this girl mm-hmm. than in like the original. That's, that's like going back to the point that I brought up earlier is like, he feels like his character, it feels more driven by anger than, than, uh, than Joe's character did. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if, if each character is supposed to be representative of a different type of mental illness, or if uh, Elijah's character just took a different turn down the road, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. And I, I think that I agree that it, Elijah's seems to be a lot more driven by anger. And to me, that may be a bit more realistic because it shows because a lot of what comes with these kind of mental health issues is a lot of anxiety and a lot of aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're trying to tie it into there, it makes sense that he would be the angrier version. Like he has a lot of this, all of this pent up aggression when Joe's version seems to be a lot less in control of what he's doing. Um, and a lot, and a lot more straight up, just multiple personalities that seem to act in completely different ways with Elijah. It's a lot more, he is just angry all the time and does his best to hide it. Elijah seems a lot more, uh, a lot more jealous than Joe did too. Like and that seemed, it seems and like every time. Be... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like Elijah's character, like every time he sees Anna with a man, he like whether he's straight or gay or a boyfriend or just a friend, it just seems like he wants to be the only man in her life. And because whenever he shows up to the apartment, her friend is there, her actor friend. And even though he's gay, it seems like Elijah still gets um jealous of him for being there 
Which makes sense because in the flashbacks we see, you know, his mother kind of pushing him aside for the men exactly. that were coming into his house. Yeah, um, exactly. And he's very, and he's very angry about that. And yeah, so I think that he just carries a lot of that resentment around um, and expresses it a lot more in this movie than in the original. Um, in the original, I feel like there's a little bit more mystery around what's going on inside of Frank's head. This mm-hmm. spells it out a lot more with the flashbacks, with the way he kills the amount of anger he shows, it's a lot less cold, stone cold killer. Yeah. Um, and more this guy who probably cries during sex, you know, <laughs> if, he's, if he's even had sex. Yeah. And I mean, I think Elijah's again, plays a lot more into that incel mentality of like when he's, he's seeing these women as this thing that he thinks he deserves, maybe because he knows that he's good looking and knows that if his mother hadn't fucked him up in the head, he would be the men in these situations with these women. And it's almost like he feels he deserves to have them um, in, a, in a way that's a lot more, I feel uh, something that you pick up on this in the more than in the original, you pick up on it a lot more. Yeah. Brooke, what's your thoughts on that question? Um, they're not what I was like thinking about. It, they're like kind of similar a bit because in the original, you know, Joe ties her up and then he's just like talking to her calmly. Like, okay, don't scream. I'm not here to hurt you. And, like, pulls her gag down and, like, talking to her. And then, like, all of a sudden, just, like, knives her in the stomach. And then in mm-hmm. the remake, she's, like, in the bathtub. And she's, like, reaching for her wine and can't find it. And, like, Elijah just, like, nudges it towards her and then, like, ties her up and then just snaps and skins, scalps her alive. So, like, yeah, I think it does have more to do with, like, anger, like how you guys said. Yeah, That, was an Anna, that wasn't Anna's kill that he that she was in the bath. No, 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 I'm not talking about Anna's kill. I'm talking like the apartment kill whenever I think her name was. Rita. Oh, yeah, it was Rita. Yeah, Fuck. yeah. In my mind, I had I had Anna's kill. My bad. No, no. That had to be while we're on the scene, probably the most intense scene of the movie. Um, yeah. Like that, that scalping her while she's alive. It looked so real. Yeah. And, and, and just the amount of like the anger and, and the, her just screaming. It was it was a lot. It was a lot. And um, I, it really impressed me. I was like, geez, this movie is getting under under my skin. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. And like whenever he's on her back and like dragging the knife and you can like it's not cutting her yet, but you're just getting that feeling in your back like, oh, fuck. Yeah. He's almost being sexual with it at that point. Like, yeah, like like just giving her just enough pain where it might be pleasure. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that seems to play into like this is what his idea of getting out at this repression that he has, like expressing mm-hmm. it is is using the knife as a yeah. Freudian, you know, replacement yeah. for his his own his own nads. So everything that I said <laughs> in regards to your question, throw it out the window because I was talking about the scene where he shows up to Anna's apartment at the end. Because yeah. um, like he goes like Rita was I feel like Rita was yeah, so to answer your question, Brooke, why he turned more to anger, in my opinion, in the remake, Rita was a complete bitch to him. Yeah. Like she, and maybe that gave him flashbacks of his mother. I don't know, but Rita wasn't rude to him in the original. Yeah. Yeah. She was just another woman that was in the room kind of thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that he, he kills kind of indiscriminately, but the women that remind him, especially of his mother, are the ones that he takes the most anger out on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was like a bit older as well, too. That's true, too. Yeah. Um, what's your guys' thoughts on the ending for both movies, like Anna dying in one, but then not like in the other? 
in terms of differentiating the movies, I think it was a, an expert choice yeah. to to surprise you like that. And I knew that was the ending, unfortunately, of the remake. I wish I could have been surprised by it, but I had unfortunately had it spoiled for me at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but still seeing the lead up of their relationship and the lead up of the rest of the movie, it had a lot of impact when she got yeeted out that windshield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the graphics in that scene, too, were fucking great. Like whenever yeah, he, like, you get the, you get the close up of her face yeah, and she's got like the big split up her chin and then the one across mm-hmm. her forehead. Like, I feel like the effects were really good in that. Yeah. And yes. then whenever, um, I think whenever he, she breaks up the van and stabs him like in the chest with like the, the mannequin hand, this is like sticking out of his chest. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really sweet little, uh, use of the props. Mm-hmm. Like kind of killing him with his own hand in a sense. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I loved, I loved the ending of the remake. I thought it was such a gut punch, especially since, you know, you you spend this entire movie kind of in a way hoping that he is redeemable, like that there is some, some part of him, which you don't really get in the original. You, you know, from the get go that Frank is a psychopath, like that he Mm. is, he's going to continue doing this. And the original movie even leaves it open-ended as to whether he's alive or not. Um, you know, and they, I guess they had originally planned to do a sequel and had it all in the works until Spinell uh, passed away. Oh, shit. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's unfortunate. But in the remake, you at that at the end, both the crash killing her and then him revealing that he doesn't even care, really telling her, you know, I told you not to go. I could have protected you. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's such a gut punch to the audience who hoped that he would be redeemable in the end. And the fact that this movie makes it more definitive that he was not somebody who could be saved. He was evil and, and deserved to die. You know, he was meant to die, you yeah. know, eventually. And, uh, so to me, it was a lot more tragic in the remake to see that he was, he had, he was dealt the wrong hand, you know, and he played all those cards in the absolute wrong way. <laughs> yeah. All this conversation is making me want to do though is rewatch the remake. Oh, really? <laughs> it's good. I, um, I mean, I'll get into it when we're back in full swing, but yeah, I, I love the shit out of it. I, I'm in the camp of it's one of the better horror movies I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely up there for, uh, for remakes too. Like, yeah, it's like that. Evil really Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would have been my pick if you guys, if some motherfucker hadn't already snagged it. <laughs> oh yeah, he told us like two months ago he wanted to do it. So <laughs> yeah, I um, I, when I was talking with him, I gave him shit. I was like, yeah, stole my idea. But I was, <laughs> uh, I mean, that was the obvious one if you were going to go with legit remakes of awesome original movies. So this was in my back pocket because I hadn't seen these movies yet. So I was like, well, this will be a good opportunity for me to knock those off my list and then yeah. get to re- really delve deep into them. So, uh, Anthony, is there anything else that you want to like any scenes that you want to talk about or compare? Or um, I guess I just wanted to, we talked about it a little bit, but I guess just comparing those ending dream sequences with the face being ripped off. Um, I know we talked about the whole mannequin face thing and everything. Um, which did you just find generally scarier i guess between the two scenes um i think i liked the remakes better it just it seemed more realistic than than the other one did like they actually like broke his bones and then like pulled him apart and minus the fact that they ripped his face skin off Mm -hmm. but i think that that kind of falls into like what he does to them in a sense 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like how, and I how think, he scalps them. Yeah, and I think the remake benefits from the fact that makeup technology and um, digital effects have just gotten better since 1980 by yeah, miles and miles. So they were able to push that scene to be more realistic and then also add the kind of weird dream logic of the mannequin face and stuff that they maybe couldn't do as well yeah. in the original. But other than that, I didn't really have any, I think we touched on most of the scenes that um, really stood out to me in both movies. Definitely. Yeah, I like how I uh, also want to mention that and uh, the blind date kill. I love how she puts on goodbye horses. That's like a, <laughs> a stack song. <laughs> It's so perfect. Yeah. Would you fuck me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, yeah, expert choice. Loved yeah. it. Um, the other thing that stood out to me as a uh, an old school horror nerd was that when they go to the to the movies, the movie is the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari in the remake. Yeah. Um, which I had a very short-lived history of art and horror movies YouTube channel, and I covered that movie extensively. And so when they, that was obviously just pandering to like my, uh, you know, to me specifically, I feel like. Um, but thematically, like she, she says, oh, you know, I was expecting the heroine to die at the end um, or mm-hmm. like, just, you know, something like that. And he says, oh, it was just a happy ending. And then she does end up, you expect that it's going to end the way the original did. And then they twist it on you. So that is kind of laying the groundwork to like her thinking that everything's going to be okay. And obviously it's not going to. <laughs> no, it's a good point. And I, that's I my thought, that's that's my little uh my little college course on old school horror films for you. That was I welcome like to my t- thanks for listening to my TED talk. <laughs> There's a course for that because I want to sh- take it. Yeah, I'm sure Tone actually got to take a horror movie class when we were in college together. It was that's part of his cool. like his because uh, he studied English and yeah. I studied art, so. um which I think you can kind of see with the stuff we do with the podcast, but yeah, he got to take a horror class where they just read like the walking dead series and Dracula and watched a bunch of like night of the living dead. That's awesome. Yeah. That's sick. I'm still mad at him and it's been like six or seven years since we graduated <laughs> college. <laughs> um, another scene that made me really laugh uh, from the first one was whenever Frank is in the park, like taking pictures and there's this like, two wives like with their children on the playground then like the wife is like hey uh billy don't leave don't leave my sight okay and then just to get on their bikes and just ride right by them (laughs) (laughs) so i was i was the the one scene that i was nervous about bringing up and i told the guys that i would i had told them this um this realization i had come to or whatever but there's a scene in the original where they have a very long shot of frank like leaving a parking lot or something and the World Trade Center is in the background. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, true. For a very long time. And if you're, if you live in the United States, obviously that is always kind of a gut punch to see those buildings in mm-hmm. a movie. Yeah. And also, and another, like, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, we're right on the border between Canada and the States. Like, I can see New York State from my house. So, oh, okay. Like, whenever that happened, it, it affected us over here, like, right on the border. Like, I was in, the fourth grade, I think. And uh, like, I was scared shitless because like it's right across the border and I knew it was right across the border. So it was, I don't know. It was kind of scary. Very scary. Yeah, I mean, actually. honestly, it's you, you guys were closer than I was because I've, I've always lived in California. So I was, mm-hmm. in, you know, the whole country away from what, when it happened, but I was very young too. And it was quite terrifying. So it always adds a maybe unintentional, well, definitely unintentional, 
element of sadness and horror to any kind of horror movie that shows up that those buildings show up in yeah yeah that's the same with how i feel like like anytime i see like the towers like in any movie i just kind of get chills and like just like think about like that moment like you know it you don't think it impacts you that much but it really does yeah real horror in in real life um you know sometimes is a lot of the time is a lot more terrifying than the stuff that we're actually talking about you know Mm -hmm. that frank did in these movies and while obviously that was unintentional on their part i think it does kind of add a little unexpected layer to the movie for sure especially with new york being such a big part of it like obviously new york has never been the same never will be the same yeah i've gone twice since it's happened like to new york city and uh the first time we went we went and visited ground zero because the uh the new world trade center hadn't been completely built yet like they're building Mm -hmm. it but um and you walk to ground zero and it's just like instant sadness like it it's almost like whenever you walk like how people say whenever you walk into a haunted house you just feel cold yeah it almost felt like that it just like hit you like a brick wall damn you just gave me like the saddest thought in the world about uh somebody in maybe 10 years or something thinking it's an okay you know because they did it with the titanic where they Mm -hmm. made goofy titanic 2 i'm just waiting for it to be like 10, 20, 30 years from now, and somebody thinks it's a good idea to make a, a haunted World Trade Center movie. Yeah. 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 But anywho, enough of the, uh, enough yeah. Of the yeah. most depressing topic in the world. That was, just, <laughs> that, that was just an observation that I felt coming from the States I should include in, mm-hmm. in here because it was obviously something that hits us really close to home. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, another thing, funny thing I found from the first one, uh, after... Um, Frank kills the the prostitute. He's like walking back to his apartment and like carrying this like big garbage bag. And I was like, really, you're gonna carry the fucking body like like that? And like someone even stops and is like, oh, how are you doing, Frank? But then it turns out just to be like a mannequin in, in like the body bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, there's definitely some goofy stuff in that original. There's that whole like a uh, music video scene at the photo shoot, like with whatever oh, yeah. wacky ass like welcome to the showtime or whatever the song is playing <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely some stuff that um doesn't hold up quite as well and is a mm. little bit cheesy um and that's just something that i that i think works a lot better about the new one if you're trying to recommend these movies to people which i don't know if, if we'll get to that but um the remake is just a lot more accessible i think yeah for a modern audience at least mm-hmm. yeah i feel like for people to appreciate the original they have to be like long-time horror, horror fans yeah and i feel like I've, I've heard a lot of people on youtube and stuff talk about how they had the exact same experience as you guys which is they watched the remake not knowing there was an original and it actually improved their enjoyment of the original because they enjoyed the remake so much um, yeah. it wasn't you know it wasn't a case of oh the remake was shit and now i'm not going to go watch the series um, i think it pushed it pushed a lot of people to watch the original maniac that's good it's a movie that deserves to be watched like they did a very good job with it. Yeah, and for for its time, it was like a very original storyline too. Like, there's obviously yeah. before this there was slashers and there was slashers with mommy issues, but they they didn't portray it like this. So I feel like this movie did a really good job with that. Yeah. Oh, uh, you just reminded me. Speaking of mommy issues, um, apparently the corpse, one of the corpses that you see at the end of the original, is the reused corpse that they used for Pamela Voorhees. Oh, and, really? Like the the headless the headless dummy when she gets her head chopped off. They, yeah. they use that that headless dummy for um, this movie. 
Oh shit. It's a nice little oh. tie in to Friday the 13th. It's good that Savini had already done some movies cause he only had a budget of $48,000 for this one. So he was able to reuse a sh- bunch of shit that he'd already used. Yeah. And if you're going to get, if you're going to get somebody who works really well and does magic on a low budget, you know, you, you get a Savini or you get um, any of the guys from KMB. Yeah. So I think it worked out really well for both of these movies. Definitely. Um, all right. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about with this? I think we, uh, I think the, the horse is pretty dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did, like, we've already compared the special effects and everything like that. So if you guys want to yeah, hop into, much, yeah. if you guys want to hop into your ratings on the movies. Yeah, let's do it. Um, what rating system do you guys use? Cause I, cause I know it's different on different shows and I don't remember having listened to your last episode, what you guys uh, did. So we break it down between the story and the quality of the movie. Okay. Um, so out of, out of the, sorry, from one to 10 for the story for one to 10 for the quality. Okay. That was the main thing I was wondering about because we do out of five. So I know when we yeah. go on other, on other shows, we're always like, do you guys do out of 10 or out of five? Yeah. Cool. So Anthony, I was going to get you to go first, but yeah, just... I can go. Okay. Um, so for the story in the original, I would say that it's probably somewhere around like a six or a seven. Um, because I don't feel like the story is really the important part of the original movie. Yeah. Um, and then quality, I think for the time that it was made, I mean, it's in, it's intentionally, I mean, with a low budget and everything, quality is hard to talk about because it's, it's, it's just a way that movie had to be made, but I think it mm-hmm. works really well because that grindhouse stuff is coming back. Yeah. Like pe- people are really yeah. into that now. Um, yeah. so for quality, I would give it probably like an, an eight, um, in terms of that genre. I think it stands okay. out really well. And then uh, for story for the remake, I'd say probably a seven or an eight. Um, you know, it's higher than with the original because I feel like there's actually a story in the remake yeah. that I that I enjoyed. Like I felt like it had a complete arc and that I enjoyed. I don't know if enjoy is the right word with the subject matter, but I was riveted. I was <laughs> intrigued. Um, and then quality, I would say this gets a 10 in terms of the, the filmmaking, the score, the special effects. I think it's an expertly made movie that is really, really um, undervalued. Okay. Good. All right. Brooke, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Um, you can go. Okay. Uh, so for the original story, I gave it a 7 out of 10. Um, I've already touched on it before, like how it was a original kind of storyline. Um, they kind of took the, the whole slasher with mommy issues and turned it on its head a little bit, gave it a little bit more meat and potatoes than a lot of those movies did back then. Ripped its scalp uh, right off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it loses points just because like, it doesn't really explain why he's doing what he does. Like, like we've already mentioned before he uh, like, we know why he is the way that he is, but we don't understand fully why he's killing the women the way that he is. Um, but yeah, I like the, uh, I like the New York grunge feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I like how it gives us an inside perspective on the killer's mind throughout most of the movie. Like, uh, throughout half, like, sorry, half of the movie is him talking to himself while he's doing shit or he's talking to the mannequins and you kind of really see his insanity in a sense. Mm hmm. 
Um, but yeah. And the quality for the original, I gave a five out of 10. Um, the effects and gore were very much of their time, which is not a bad thing at all. Yeah. But, uh, I feel like the script was kind of mediocre. Um, uh, Joe Spinell did a great job making you feel uncomfortable pretty much every time he's on the screen. Um, but I found the score to be very boring. Uh, the kills weren't overly creative. So I found some of them kind of boring except for the shotgun kill. I thought that was badass. Yeah. Um, one thing I did like about this movie, uh, a little bit more than the remake, there's not a mass amount of nudity in it. Like I feel like a movie like this could have just so much nudity strewn throughout it, especially being an eighties movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because nudity in slashers back then was like, it had to be there kind of thing. Whereas this movie, they didn't do it very often. Like there's only, I was gonna say, I think that ties into like what we were talking about earlier with it being less about the sexuality of of what he's doing. Cause you know, Friday the 13th is all about kids having sex. Exactly. It's all, it's all the nudity and everything. So yeah, that's a really good point that I hadn't, hadn't even really thought of. And for the remake, the story, I gave it a seven out of 10. Um, basically like I said, I enjoyed the original movie and the original idea. So, and this remake didn't take anything away from that. If anything, it added to it. So I could realistically even give it a higher score than that. Um, but yeah, like, like I had mentioned before, I had the experience with this movie before I had with the original. So this one, I feel like I like this one a little bit more than the original, just for that fact, but mm-hmm. I'm, both movies are fantastic. Yeah. And the quality of the remake, I gave it a nine out of 10. The acting was significantly better in this one. I love Elijah Wood in pretty much every role that he does. Um, the gore factor in this one was next level, um, but it wasn't over the top. Like it felt very, very realistic. Like everything, everything that we were shown on screen, um, like it just felt very realistic. And I love the cinematography in the remake, like the whole first person view of everything. Yeah, it's really cool. And I want to know how they did that. Because you see, like I know in a lot of movies that have the first person view, the actors are wearing like some sort of rig that's on Mm -hmm. them. But like you see Elijah in mirrors and shit in this one. There's nothing on him. Yeah. From from what I read, he was on set the entire time, but he was standing behind the cinematographer. So the cinematographer was actually doing all of the first person shooting while Elijah Wood stood in the back. And then for all of the inner monologue stuff and most of the dialogue, when you're in first person, he recorded mm-hmm. it in ADR afterward. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and then they just melded them together. So it sounds a lot like something like maybe Cloverfield where you would expect that a T that TJ Miller was behind the camera the whole time. Yeah. When that's just the cinematographer doing a good job of, convincing you of that yeah for sure okay making making the camera kind of disappear yeah um i think it's difficult y'all right (laughs) yeah i um, i (laughs) i uh knocked some stuff on my desk over and was was making sure that none of it was a drink that was going to to spill all over my carpet (laughs) (laughs) or your computer yeah (laughs) all right oh no it look frank is here in my room oh shit he says i'm beautiful (laughs) he wants your hair i don't blame him man (laughs) (laughs) all right brooke all right so i may be the odd man out here uh 
<laughs> now my scores I made before we talked about the movie and like both of you guys have made good points to like up my thoughts on the on the remake and like same with like the, the original like different points and stuff like that um so for my story for the 1980 version I went a 7 out of 10 I thought it was a really well done story of like a deeply disturbed man who I think just wants to either like please his mother or just I don't know, you don't really fully understand that but um, I thought the two main characters were great but the rest of the cast wasn't very memorable mm-hmm. um, you understand like what happened in his past without him having to explain it like through his emotions and stuff like that uh, for quality I gave it 8 out of 10 I thought it was a really well done horror movie um, acting I thought was pretty good the special effects I thought were great and I thought it was really suspenseful and scary. Uh, so seven out of seven out of ten and eight out of ten for that one. All right. And then for the remake, um, <laughs> for the story, I gave a five out of ten. Um, I mean, like we've made you know you made lots of points about the movie, so like I think I have to watch it again because I think I think I went into this with two high expectations. Because, like, this movie is on people's list of, like, one of the best remakes ever and, like, amazing and so great. So I think I just had this vision in my head that it was going to be amazing. Um, It was great, don't get me wrong, but uh, I think I was just, I don't know, disappointed a bit. Yeah, Um, that's kind of, uh, we talk a lot about how that's kind of the uh, moviegoer's worst enemy. Like yeah, we try, yeah. we try really, really, really hard to the point of not watching trailers and almost never looking at reviews ahead of time for movies. Yeah. Um, I'm bad about it. I still do because um, <laughs> I can't help myself, but we try to kind of remove ourselves from all that because we've had the exact same experience where we've gone into a movie that everyone under the sun loves and we're just like, we don't get it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, like, I don't get why this is on these lists. So. Yeah. So like I like if I watch this movie again more the next day, I, I'm sure that I'll like it even more than I watched it last night. So, but uh, anyway, going on. So I also thought like everyone in the remake just kind of felt like dumb a bit. Like um, we we didn't even mention at the end how Elijah like totally fucks it up at the very end. <laughs> oh yeah, I yeah. Probably just like tells her you know pretty much like what happens. Like he kind of fucks it up. Um, everything kind of like falls into place with him like too easy. I felt a bit like yeah, this like point. super hot girl, you know, messages him and stuff like that. And they go on a date and then she sees him, bring them back to his place. Wants to have sex. It's like, I don't know. It seems just kind of like set up a bit too easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like the flashbacks and the visions weren't needed at all. Like we mentioned before, like I felt like those weren't really necessary to explain what kind of character um, Elijah was in this movie. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Those are good points. Yeah. So for my quality, I gave a 6 out of 10. Um, I thought the acting was fantastic. Like, Elijah killed it in this movie. Um, I felt like some of the writing in the script just kind of felt, like, weird and not right. Um, I did like more of the characters in this one a bit more. Uh, the kills were fantastic, but they just kind of seemed to set up, set up easy. Yeah. So 5 out of 10 for story and quality is 6 out of 10. Well, I'm actually glad that we didn't all three land in exactly the same space, Um, you know, in terms of which one we liked better, because it seems you're leaning more toward the original, which I think a lot of people probably do. The majority of people probably lean toward the original. Um, 
but I do think that, you know, fighting to get the remake some more attention, um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely lean toward it. Um, yeah, but, sure. but you know, that's, that's what I like about our show is that with the three of us, we almost never land exactly the same on scores. And so it creates a nice, and like you said, you know, that's why I like sitting down and talking about these movies in depth is because then I have a lot more knowledge going into the second watch. Yeah, exactly. And and things that I never would have picked up on unless I had talked to you guys about both yeah, of these movies. It's really refreshing. Yeah. Absolutely. So now that the audience knows our scores, we'll head on over to Rotten Tomatoes and see what they've all scored it for the two movies. Now, have either of you looked at Rotten Tomatoes for these movies? I not. have not. No. Okay. Anthony, it's very interesting what you said about how um, you feel like people like the remake more, or like the original more than the remake. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony, I'm going to get you to guess what the critics scored the original and Brooke will get you to guess what they scored the remake. Okay. So we'll start with the original. Okay. So for the original, if it's critics, I'd say it's gotta be pretty low. Cause I know that that critics in general were pretty turned off by that movie. Um, maybe in the realm of like a 15 to 20%, I'm going to guess like a, a happy 18%. All right, so you're way lower. Um, the cr- the critics, go ahead. I was gonna say that's good. I was hoping that I was shooting <laughs> low. <laughs> uh, it's still not a good score, but the critics scored it forty percent. Okay, I mean for a horror movie, that's really not bad. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and Brooke, what do you think the remake got from the critics? I'm going to say a fifty-eight. You're close, fifty-three percent. For the oh, remake. So yeah, the critics for the original gave it a 40 and the critics for the remake gave it a 53 for the audience of the original. They gave it a 58 and the audience on the remake, they gave a 44. Wow. So the critics liked the remake better, but the audience liked the original better. I think that that makes a hundred percent sense. That yeah. sounds ex- exactly what, what I would have assumed. I found it. I found that interesting. That and that's why with horror movies, I've learned that looking at audience scores is almost always more helpful for me to find something that I'm that I'm going to enjoy. Um, Because the audiences on those ratings obviously are people who either saw the original and so they're rating it higher because they're fans of it. Yeah. Um, Or with the remake, maybe it's people seeing that movie without having any idea what the original is and judging Mm -hmm. it based on that. I feel like both of these movies deserve better ratings than what they got, though. Yeah, it's definitely a case of Rotten Tomatoes um, yeah. not being at all accurate, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, like if, assessment. You, if you look at both the critics and audience scores for both of these, they still don't average 50%, which like, I feel like this movie, like both of them should be well over that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, and I think that. Sorry, like I was looking at uh, IMDb tonight, and for the original. The Metascore rating is 22. Yeah, like it was very low. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I think that um, people who aren't familiar with the horror genre see that a lot with horror movies and comedies too. Like anything that where the viewing experience is very subjective, it's very based on what scares you, what creeps you out, and what your own experience with horror is. Um, you know, it, it really makes things like Rotten Tomatoes really hard to gauge a horror movie on. All right. You guys want to head on to the scare section? 
Yes, sir. Spooky. Spooky. All right. So, Brooke, I guess I'll ask you, are we are we just going to do like what our scare rating is or do we want to go through the whole gambit of what we normally do? I was going to say go through the whole gambit if you want. Okay. Okay. All right. So, yeah, Anthony, again, we rate these on a scale of 1 to 10. So, for the original, what would you give it for a scare rating? Um, I think it's probably like a 7. Um it was scary. It was scary in the way that I would call anything that I watch these days scary in that, like it didn't actually scare me at all. Um, but I'd like to put myself in the shoes of someone who maybe is less, has their brain less like ruined by horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found the original had some really, really over the top scenes that if, if you get uncomfortable at gore could be pretty scary. Um, so yeah, I say it's just some sometime around seven. Okay. And for the remake? For the remake, um, probably I found the remake a bit scarier because I'm always a sucker for like terrifying nightmare sequences. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm such a, that's why I'm such a big like Twin Peaks David Lynch fan. Um, and so for the, for that, I'd say it was probably an eight. I still wasn't terribly scared, but there were definitely points, especially like the beginning when she gets stabbed through the chin maybe jump. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> and then the scalping scene on the bed was just so horrific that yeah. it was hard to watch. So that actually kind of made me sweat a little bit more than I was expecting to. All right. Cool. Nice. All right, Brooke. So for me, for the uh, original, I gave a seven out of 10. Um, I felt like the first time I watched this comparing this to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the whole movie, like Mark, you said for the whole show, that you mm-hmm. just felt like dirty and they really captured the way that New York felt in the eighties really mm-hmm. well. Um, I thought it was really suspenseful and I thought the gore was pretty good for, uh, for that time era. And I thought Frank felt really menacing in this movie. Like you were scared of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for the remake, I gave a five out of 10. Um, I didn't find it that scary, but it was definitely really fucking brutal like especially the the Rita kill, like oh man, that was hard to watch. But I mean, we already came to the conclusion that she was a bitch, so I guess she deserved <laughs> it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bitchy people deserve to be scalped. That that if that's the one takeaway that people take from this episode, <laughs> it's, it's that really bad take that we have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, she she owns a kimono. Like, come on, you're a bitch. <laughs> In, instant murder key right there. Yeah. You don't own a kimono, do you, Anthony? Not on my life. There we go. All right. <laughs> um, okay. I gave my original, or I gave the original a 3 out of 10. I, I did, personally didn't find Joe Spinell that scary in this one. Like, I don't know. Like, he was creepy and weird, but like, I don't know. I didn't find him that scary. And like, I feel like, feel like he's more easily overtaken than what Elijah Wood would be. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like he seems a bit easier, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of a but, buffoon. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it actually. Um, but I do like the, um, the darkness of the movie. I feel like this one's darker than 
um, than the remake. Like not just like I mean like uh, like the city's darker and grungier. Obviously, we've already talked about all that, but um, and the gore is like eighties gore, which doesn't really get to me as much as more modern age stuff does. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the remake, I gave a five out of ten. I feel like Elijah's performance was better in a sense of um, like inducing that fear, that sense of fear. Um, And he's more of a loose cannon I found too. So like, you just don't really ever know what he's going to do. So that really adds to it for me. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Definitely good points all around. Um, I think that your scores are fair. And I definitely think that the original does really capture that grimy, feel but um i also agree that i wasn't really particularly scared by either movie um mm-hmm. but i do think that they were they were just impressive if you're a horror fan both are impressive in vastly different ways definitely all right anthony what was your scariest scene in, in the original the, in the original it was even though i knew the scene was going to happen i think the best setup for a scare is the shotgun scene because the way it's you get this lead up with Savini getting to, I'm sure he was happy about this make out with a beautiful woman. So you get the classic long buildup of tension and then it's really foggy outside the car. So you you're, they can't really see what's going on. And then he just sprints up to the car and levels the gun. And that felt extremely realistic and frightening to me. So I'd say in the original, that was probably the scariest scene um, in my opinion. And then in the remake, the scariest scene was probably the the scalping on the bed. Yeah. I think for me. Cuz just so it's it's terrifying and tragic and you you end up feeling for both characters at the same time and it's it's a conflicting scene to watch. Mhm. Definitely. All right, Brooke. Cool. Um so for the uh, 1980 version, I went with the subway scene. Uh the first time watching this, my heart was beating so fast during the scene. Like, I just felt for the girl. Like, you get this fucking dingy fucking bathroom with the graffiti on the walls. And, like, Frank's just, like, slowly walking through. And he, like, looks through the stalls. And then he looks at the last door but doesn't open it because you're like, okay, he knows she's fucking in there. And then she looks at he's not there. So you're like, okay, everything's good. And then he comes out of nowhere and stabs him in the back. Like the tension in that scene was really well done. I thought. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. And then for the remake, I went actually with, I probably could have went with the scene that you picked Anthony, but I went with whenever Elijah is driving through the New York city and he's looking at all the girls and like, you see him look at like uh, an African-American girl and like, you're like looking at her hair. You're like, huh, could he be like attracted to that? And then you see him look at another girl walk by like an older lady looking at jewelry. You're like, huh, could he like go for her? And then you see another girl like walk by and the kind of like camera follows that one girl. And like, I don't know, it's kind of creepy of him. Like just like looking at all these women and like, the one girl notices that he's watching her, but just keeps like kind of walking faster and faster. So I yeah, felt that it's way. that it's that scary yeah. idea that anybody could be watching you at any point. And exactly. You know. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, those are my two scenes. Sweet. 
All right. Um, for the original, I Brooke, I'm agreeing with you. I said the the subway scene, um, and basically, you nailed my whole notes on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had I had that heart racing feeling as well. Like as she's running through, because um, it starts off on the street, and it's just like the camera's focusing on their feet, and mm-hmm. she starts walking faster, and then he starts walking faster, and you can see that build up of the tension as they're walking down the street. And then she dips down to the subway, drops all her coins everywhere, which is like a big horror <laughs> trope now. Like yeah. it's, it's fumbling with the keys, but, uh, and like, you can just see his feet starting to come down the stairs and then she finally gets through. And then like, you know that she's not going to be safe, but she feels like she's safe at the end of it. Um, so it's just like kind of a roller coaster, but yeah, it's a good tension buildup scene for sure. Yeah. yeah you guys uh, have very similar opinions on things. You should start a podcast together. <laughs> I know. right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm going to go I'm, for the remake. I'm going to stray from you guys. We haven't talked about this one part yet and it's not so much that it's scary, but it's so fucking cool. Whenever he goes to Anna's apartment and then her friend leaves and then he comes back in and he unlocks the door and you see this all from his perspective. He unlocks the door and then it's like kind of sidesteps behind it. And then the friend comes in and as he turns around, uh, Frank has this meat cleaver and just slams it into the guy's face, yeah. like into his mouth and gives him like the Joker smile basically with this knife, but it's just lodged into his jaw. Yeah. Like, he's still I thought alive that- too. Yeah, because he comes back after. I was like, oh my <laughs> God, that's wild. And just amazing uh, makeup effects too. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he comes after Frank afterwards with the bat and his jaw's just like flopping around while he's swinging the bat at him. And like, it's not so much scary, but like just the gore factor was really good in that scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had completely forgotten about that. But um, as soon as you remind me, I was like, oh shit, yeah, that was intense. So that's that's the one that I'm going to pick. <laughs> the one other scene that I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't bring it up. And it's just because it's a, it's an Easter egg, but when he has the woman's scalp and the knife in his hand and he turns and his reflection is in the car and it's mirroring what the original maniac poster looked like. Yes. I thought that was really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's a not, it's not, it's not like a beat your, you over the head moment, which I was happy about. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was still like, okay, if you know the iconic poster to the original maniac, that mm-hmm. made all the people freak out, you know, then this is a really cool little Easter egg. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Anthony, would you survive either movie? Well, I'm not a beautiful lady, so. You are beautiful, though. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think that I probably wouldn't survive only because in the original I would survive because I would stay, like I said, a million miles away from Joe Spinell. But um, in the remake, I would, I would get in a car with Elijah Wood in a heartbeat. So <laughs> I think that I would be pretty screwed if Elijah Wood was the serial killer in my situation. Plus I'm just not a fighter. Like I'm just a, I'm a little stick boy. So for me, whenever, <laughs> whenever I'm being realistic about these kind of situations, I'm like, I would be overpowered by even somebody who has a little bit of muscle on their body. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brooke, what about you? Uh, for the original, I said yes, because he goes after females, but that if he would go after me for whatever reason, I definitely wouldn't survive. 
feel like he would fuck me up. Mm-hmm. And for the remake, I put yes, um, because I'm pretty much the same body build as Elijah, so I feel like we're just getting like a sloppy match with each other. <laughs> <laughs> or something stupid. Uh, I would love to see that in a sequel. <laughs> so would I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah. No for the first one and yes for the second one. Alright. Um yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take some points from Anthony. Like I Joe does not seem like someone I would be anywhere around. No offense to him, rest in peace, but he's like he just doesn't seem like a fun person to be around or even a nice person to be around. Mm. Whereas like, I don't know. I feel like Elijah, he has like friendly eyes and you know what I mean? It's like that scene in super bad where, uh, where Seth is saying he's got the nicest fucking eyes. <laughs> like, really it's kind does. of, <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like he's, he just seems like he'd be a friendly person and someone that you could hang out with or go for a drink with or something like that. So yeah, I think I I would survive the original and probably not so much the remake just and because he's fucking crazy in the remake like he just lashes out out of nowhere you never know what his reaction is going to be yeah I could easily see myself like falling for going to to sit down and play video games with him and like yeah. in, the middle of, in the middle of Call of Duty he switches that <laughs> <laughs> just attacks me yeah oh you got a better KDR than me slash <laughs> <laughs> All right, we uh, ready to hop into this villain face-off? Yeah, let's oh, do it. I got, yes. <laughs> I got in my numbers. Anthony, I was happy to hear that you're a weekly D&D player, so that makes yeah. our lives a little bit easier with this. So you Yeah, I, I was surprised um, when I got sent that, and I was like, yeah, this is perfect. This is what I do <laughs> every week. Uh, yeah, John and I actually have a D&D group that we play usually on Mondays, we've been taking a little bit of a hiatus because things with the podcast have been picking up, but, um, yeah, I DM a horror campaign. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Horror time travel. So (laughs) you guys should, uh, YouTube it. We have been seriously considering it. We definitely want to get into YouTube for games for horror games. Um, cause, cause we're big board game players too. So we're always like, why aren't we filming us shooting the shit doing this? Um, so yeah, uh, look out for that. It's sometime in the future. <laughs> There's that one YouTube channel too. I forget who it's like four or five celebrities and they sit down and play D and can't remember what it's called though. Yeah. It's with, um, I think you're talking about the one with Will Wheaton. And yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. uh, Titan's grave. I think yes. That's it. it. Is, I, yeah. John actually just recommended it on our show like two episodes ago. Oh, did he? Yeah. That's how I found out about it is cause he was like, Hey, if you want some inspiration for D and D go check out Titan's grave. Hmm. Guess Sounds I need to like, listen to that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Dude, I'm falling so behind on podcasts. It's crazy. I definitely don't blame anybody for not being caught up. I'm like, I try my best. I really do. But there's so many good podcasts out there, yeah. including your guys's that I try my best, but I have to split it up. Like one week I'm like, okay, I'm going to do Elm Street this week and, you know, Fangirls and Creepy Crap. And yeah. then yeah. Week I'll yeah. attack everything. And then there's new episodes and I'm behind yeah. again. <laughs> Not everybody can be like Ben from Extreme Horror Replay and just listen to every single one of your episodes in one go. That he's that guy has got time on his hands. He's insane. He's a champ. Um, yeah, I mean that's the coolest thing. We've only had maybe I think we could count on one hand how many people we've had listen to every episode of our show. And I don't even recommend people do that. 
um because i wasn't on the first season and and we hadn't figured out the audio quite so there's some gems there but overall i'm like start at season two when (laughs) when we really figured it out (laughs) yeah i've listened to most of your season two so i'm good i'm good in that sense well thank you i appreciate it we appreciate it of course all right let's do this i met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Um... Okay, so I guess each one of us will go through our scores for the original first, and then we'll go through our scores for the remake. Sure. You guys want to do it like that? Okay. All right. Anthony, I've been giving you the the hot seat all night, but I'm going to let Brooke go first with this one. Ooh, okay. Ooh. (laughs) All right. So for my strength for 1980, I gave him a 25 out of 30. Um, He's a very large man. Kind of like a leather face type body. Uh, for dexterity, I gave a 18 out of 30. Um, he's pretty agile for being so big. Like when he just like hops up on Tom Savini's car and blasts his head off. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Constitution, I gave a 10 out of 30. Um, this guy's always fucking sweating, so he, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You think he would be so fat? He would lose all that water. <laughs> yeah. You think of all that trekking around New York, killing ladies, he'd be a little bit thinner. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even when he's having sex with the hooker, he's like still profusely sweating. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, intelligence, I gave a twenty out of thirty. Um, he like knows what kind of hair and woman like he wants for his uh, collection. Uh, for wisdom, I gave a twenty-two out of thirty. I thought he played a really good uh, business art man. And then for charisma, I gave a 17 out of 30. Um, I thought that he dresses up in good fashion and can really uh, talk to the ladies when he dresses up like that. All right, cool. Yeah, I was, um, I had a lot of the same reasoning behind my scores that you did. Um, yeah. But I can go ahead and give get into that. Um, for Frank in 1980, for his strength, I gave him a 24 out of 30. Um, I feel like he's a lot more of a brick shit house than Elijah Wood is. Um, <laughs> yeah, dexterity, I gave him a 24 as well. I feel like there are some scenes where, uh, yeah, like running on the top of the car and some of the things that he does in terms of being able to scalp the women. I mean, that takes some dexterity. Yeah. Uh, constitution, I gave him a 16. I put it pretty low because he, uh, yeah, the whole time he's sweating, the whole time he seems like he's just ready to crack. So, like, that doesn't seem like a guy who has it all together. Yeah. Um, intelligence, I gave him a 20 out of 30. I think that he seems like a pretty smart guy, but conversely for wisdom, I gave him a 13 pretty low because in my head, he seems like a guy who's really smart at what he does, but has literally no, almost no wisdom about, like, how life is supposed to be, like, how living life is supposed to be. Mm. Um, he seems to be somebody who's been removed like had his entire childhood of learning how to function in the world removed from him. Um, so I say he's very smart, but maybe not as, as much wise. And then for charisma, I split it because I was like, are we talking about his, his general 
uh, persona or his, like you said, his fancy art. Yeah. Yeah. Guy persona. So for his regular persona, I gave him a 15 out of 30. I don't think he's terribly charismatic at all, but I gave him a 24 for his, uh, his fun little talk show host type guy that he puts on. (laughs) Yeah. So could I give him like a 19 then for your score? Yeah, that sounds good. It sounds fair. Just because I add them up afterwards. Yeah. All right. So we agree, like all three of us agree fairly well on most of this. But uh, yeah, I gave his strength a 20 out of 30. Um, Like you guys said, like he's a big man. He's overpowering, but he you only ever see him overpowering women. So, I mean, I'd like to see him up against a full grown man in a slot fight. In a slap fight. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Um, I gave his dexterity a 10. Um, I gave it that low because the only time we really ever see anything like that is the, uh, like him jumping up on the car. And like Anthony, you said, like with, um, uh, sorry, like with, the scalping and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Had a brain fart for a second. Um, <laughs> couldn't remember what it was called. Uh, for Constitution, I gave it a 12 out of 30. Um, he's a big fat man, but I mean, he walks the streets in New York City constantly. So, I mean, he's got to have some sort of stamina in a sense, yeah. um, even though he is a big man. Mm-hmm. His intelligence, I gave an 18. Um, I feel like he's able to mingle in with these groups of people that he doesn't necessarily belong in. Uh, So I feel like that takes some form of intelligence. Like he knows how to, I guess, I guess a cross between intelligence and charisma it would be, but I mean, he knows what he needs to say to get in with the people where he's very deceptive. Yeah. Uh, Wisdom. I gave a 20 um, basically for the same reasons you guys did. And for charisma, I also gave a 20, um, touching back on what I said for the intelligence, like he's, he's able to be a likable person in groups of people that are like models and photographers and stuff like that. Yeah. Given the fact that he looks like a wet slob. (laughs) Yeah. So. um, Well, it sounds like, yeah, we all kind of came to a, a, Pretty good general, consensus there. Consensus. Yeah. With, yeah. with old fat ass Frank. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, just give me one sec and I'll average these ones up and then we'll go on to the next ones. Yeah. It seemed like at the shotgun scene, he suddenly became like a parkour master. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing the math and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mark takes the reins on this one. That's usually how I am, I am on our show because tone is the um he's the one who gets like really nerdy about spreadsheets and scheduling and numbers and i hate all that kind of stuff um (laughs) like i said yesterday i fly by the seat of my brown pants so um for me it's a lot more just improvising and 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 going off the cuff with stuff and he's a lot more about strict guidelines which i feel like we've had to kind of ease him out of as our shows progressed like you can tell as it if you've listened to earlier episodes of a lot more by the books yeah like come on man loosen up (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm ready for the remake cool don't we go first again sure all right 
So for the 2012-2013 uh, remake, I went strength 15 out of 30. Um, he's not very big, but he can somewhat handle himself, it seems. For dexterity, I gave a 25 out of 30. Uh, he's fast enough to like hide under cars and uh, kind of get around easy. For constitution, I gave a 22 out of 30. Um, kind of seems like an average, you know, in-shape guy, so you could probably, you know, um, not run out of breath and stuff like that pretty easily. Yep. Um, intelligence, I gave a 20 out of 30. Um, kind of the same as uh, Frank from 1980. He kind of knows, like, what kind of hair and, like, women he wants to collect for his, uh, his mannequins. Uh, for wisdom, I gave a 13 out of 30. Um... Frank in this movie doesn't seem that smart, like especially when he fucks up at the end and just totally tells Anna about everything's done, pretty much. Yeah. And then for charisma, I gave a fourteen out of thirty. Um, he doesn't know how to socialize and is very awkward in uh, social events. Yep, all very good points. Uh, I think we'll again agree pretty closely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I put for Frodo. Um, I gave him strength at 20. Um, I feel like he's kind of in the middle. Like I, he would probably beat me in a fight, but if uh, anyone, <laughs> anyone bigger than me went up against him, I think it would be either a pretty close match or he would, he would uh, definitely be in the dirt. Uh, dexterity. I gave him a 26. I feel like even just the way he performs the kills and then the way that he puts the scalps on the mannequins seems like he's more of an artist. Like he seems to have more of a, uh, a handle on his own faculties and his body and everything throughout this movie. Um, yeah. In the, in the original Frank is just sticking the scalps on with safety pins, <laughs> you know, or like thumbtacks. Yeah. Uh, and then the constitution, I gave him an 18. Um, I gave him a lower score pretty much for the same reason in that he, he's a small guy. And also I feel like emotionally, he doesn't have a very high constitution. He seems like he can flip mm. pretty quickly to being That's like really, point. really, jealous or vengeful about something um i think he's a lot more of a weaker person than the original frank was um intelligence i gave him a 22 Uh, i do think he's he seems a little bit smarter than eh, just in his deception i think his deception seems a lot more convincing to me um in this maybe because he doesn't have to go as far like he's not deceiving uh, by playing an entirely different character i guess and then um for wisdom, I gave him a 13, same as with uh, OG Frank, because I think they both just lack any sort of real social understanding um, of how people work and how people think. So I think that their their wisdom of the world is pretty low, um, at least outside of their murderous world. Like they know their own little murder mannequin world, like the back of their hand, but not anything else. Um, and then for the charisma, I gave him a... 17 i would have gone higher because elijah wood is a good looking man but he really is socially <laughs> complete he's completely socially inept and awkward yeah. so he his charisma really isn't his strong suit in this movie it's more his timidness and his vulnerability that draws people in right. yeah and like that's another thing like sorry to cut you off mark but uh yeah. like with elijah like his date with that girl is going fantastic for him <laughs> Like, this girl's into him, she likes him, wants to take him back to his place, but, like, he, he still just can't, you know, do it. Yeah, he just doesn't know how to function as a normal person. Yeah. 
All right. So for my remake scores, I gave the strength a 15, same as you, Brooke. Um, Yeah, I feel like he's a scrawny guy. He's not overly strong. And again, he's just overtaking women for the most part. And the one guy that he does take on, he like completely takes him by surprise, which is what the original Frank did too. Whenever he strangles buddy on the beach, like just completely took them by surprise. Uh, Dexterity. I gave him an 18. Um, I feel like, like he's a small guy, so he's going to have like some agility, I would assume. Um, but we don't necessarily see a lot of it throughout the movie. Like he doesn't really do anything that would, that would, state otherwise that it should be any higher for me anyways i don't think mm-hmm. um constitution i gave a 25 uh <laughs> complete opposite of the original frank he's not sweaty and fat like you can tell that he's somewhat fit um he has that strength um to uh to do what it is that he's doing obviously <clears throat> um intelligence i gave him a 17 um, like you guys said, like he fucked, fucked himself over on the end, like tripped up on his words and his story and whatnot. Um, but he does know, like, how do I word it? I don't know. Like, he know it's, it's a lot like the original guy too. Like he knows how to get in with certain crowds, even though he is socially awkward, he still gets himself into the, gets himself into the, um, into the crowd that he wants to be with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's able to lure the women in too. Uh, wisdom. I gave him a 15. Um, he lost big time scores for whenever he screwed himself over at the end. In my opinion. Yeah, definitely not, definitely not wise. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but yeah. And charisma, I gave him a 14 as well as you Brooke, uh, for the same reasons. Like he's very socially awkward. But it's not to the point where he is like a complete recluse. Like he's able to get himself out there and communicate with these people. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. Cool. So who's the uh, the victor? Let me see here. Yeah, because I mean, at least like um, Elijah, you know, he goes to that big art party and at least tries to like you know, get out of his shell, but then it just doesn't go well for him at the, uh, at that party. Yeah. yeah it seems, exactly. it seems more like Frank from the original doesn't have an actual interest in acting like a, like being a normal person and being around normal people. He just does it to meet his murderous ends. Yeah. Um, Elijah's Frank seems a lot more like someone who is struggling to desperately be a part of regular society and just kind of comes to realize that it's impossible for him. Yeah. 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 So it's a lot more, I think, sad in his case. He's a lot um, more tragic character. Yeah, because like I think a lot of people these days can relate to Frank from the second movie, like the sequel or the, the remake in that sense. Like, you know, like with me, like with anxiety and stuff, like you get like anxiety about like going out to certain places or it's like oh i have this date schedule like i don't want to go to this but then like you make yourself go and try to get over that feeling you know 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I've been to parties where I've just not wanted to talk to anybody, but really forced myself to be social and push myself out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, so I can absolutely relate. And with somebody who has sometimes debilitating anxiety, um, I, yeah, those were the parts where I was like, yeah, I mean, I completely empathize with those portions of his personality yeah. or at least, you know, the, the parts that we see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You guys ready? Okay. So for strength, um, OG Frank wins 23 to 16. No surprises. Yeah. For dexterity, remake Frank wins 23 to 17. For constitution, remake Frank wins 21 to 12. Nice. For intelligence, they are tied at 19. Ooh. Oh, damn. It's coming down to it. <laughs> for wisdom, OG Frank wins 18 to 13. For charisma, OG Frank wins 18 to 15. Damn. Wow. So by a score of uh, three to two, OG Frank wins. Damn. What an upset. (laughs) That was really (laughs) tight. I was surprised. Yeah, I think that um, in reality, if these two guys met each other, if they face off, I would not be at all surprised if 1980 Frank came out the victor. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I think he would overpower him for sure. Yeah. I think that it's just, it's, it's fun to break it down, but at the end of the day, it really does probably come down to just brute strength, you know, or, or intelligence, you know, like which of them is craftier and which of them is stronger. Yeah. Cause I think in the, in the remake, Frank's, like mind just overpowers himself, like makes him think too much and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, it's really debilitating um, for him. And you get to see that his mind is a lot more fractured than you get to see in the original. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that concludes the episode. Wow. That was a ton of fun. Uh, and, and the NyQuil didn't knock me out. Perfect. (laughs) We made it, boys. You lasted Uh, two and a half hours. Still not the uh, the longest episode I've done. Um, I think I did. Well, to be fair, I had the other two guys too for the Texas Chainsaw one. I think we went for like three hours on that one. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even listen to the whole episode when it came out because I was like, I don't want to listen to a three hour podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) Yeah, episodes on its own. Seriously. But yeah, this was a ton of fun. And I mean, I'm glad that I was nervous about whether I would be able to bring my A game to this, um, having just seen these movies for the first time. So I was really pleased that I felt we were able to get a really good conversation out of breaking down these two movies. And it's fun to compare originals to remakes, whether they're they're shitty comparisons or whether they're, to me, like this, way more fun to where even down to the scores for the villains at the end, they were neck and neck. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and like with yeah. me, I was nervous too because like I literally didn't take any notes for either of those movies. So I was like, fuck, <laughs> like we're just gonna free throw it, like how's it gonna go? But I think it went really smoothly. Yeah, yeah it, was- it was great. And and like I said uh, earlier, this is something that I've always wanted to do with you guys is be on the show. And and this is the second show that I've recorded solo. So I'm still kind of getting used to the idea of holding up an entire conversation like just me alone in my room i'm not used to it <laughs> yeah yeah i imagine that would be a kind of a tough barrier to overcome 
Like yeah, you're, I just, you're used to bouncing ideas off of the two other guys that you're with constantly, right? Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of the time, um, if I'm, my mind can get changed by just another point that another one of the guys made, but that's exactly what happened here. I felt like the three of us were not wildly different in our opinions, but slightly different enough that it was good to bounce some of the ideas off of each other. And like you guys were saying, like, I think all of us have said this makes us want to go back and watch those movies and reappraise them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even having enjoyed them, it just means we'll enjoy them more the next time around. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you want to plug your podcast one more time before we call her a night? Sure. Um, so yeah, like I said earlier, I am one third of the Porcelain Peak podcast. My name is Anthony, in case you missed that. Uh, my two co-hosts, Tone and John, um, join me for Monday episodes where we talk about horror and sci-fi, whether it's movies, books, um, basically anything in the genre that catches our attention and we feel like we can really squeeze the life out of. Um, and we have a ton of fun, like I said, with trivia and everything. So if you want to hop on over there, we just started our season three. We just had our premiere. Uh, we are doing a 31 Terror Tales marathon for October, uh, which Mark and Brooke here were gracious enough to be a part of. So all of those movies were submitted by our listeners on Instagram and we've been going through those each week is themed. So we, our new episode is us going over the seven vampire movies that we watched. Um, this week will be werewolves. So I have one more movie. I think it's Wolfen. I have to watch tonight. Um, and then witches and Halloween night. So if you guys want to hop on over to season three and follow us along with that, it's a ton of fun. We've been doing it for the past couple of years and people seem to really enjoy it. So yeah, porcelain peak, check it out. <laughs> That's great. All right. Uh, yeah. I just want to say thank you again, Anthony, for coming on. Um, it's It's been a great pleasure having you here. And as much as you said that you were excited and nervous and you wanted to get on, we were kind of in the same boat because we think highly of you guys as well. So yeah, it, yeah. it's tit for tat. Well, um, you know, all about them tits and them tats. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's been incredible to see how much our show has grown to like into this community i feel like we kind of uh f- f- like we we kind of just like wormed our way into the whole thing uh showed up out of nowhere and kind of built ourselves up onto everybody's radar so it's been really cool to see that other people appreciate our show as much as we appreciate their shows um and like i said it was you know i have always loved your guys' show and ever since i started looking at other shows um that were doing something similar to us and the fact that we are like friends now. I mean, it's kind of crazy and mm-hmm. that we, we can talk about stuff that we are passionate about for three, almost three hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Helps, helps me get out of my trapped in my room while the state's burning down and there's a deadly virus everywhere. It helps me get out of my shell a little bit and not feel like I'm about to go Jack Torrance in the shining up in here. <laughs> <laughs> All work and no play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you Californians have a double time right now. Yeah, it's crazy. So I'm definitely going to be heading up to Canada if they'll let me in. And, uh, <laughs> sanctuary with my boys from Horror Movie Crew and you guys. Yeah, there we'll, you we'll meet you at the border. Sounds good. Sneak me in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And as for us, you guys can find us on Instagram at a podcast on Elm Street. Um, we are, as I said at the start of this, um, we're doing a, an October special where we uh, – we're going to have a guest on for each episode and uh, talk about the original movie versus the remake. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it, especially judging how this one went. I think it's going to go pretty well. 
but uh, yeah, and we also have something special coming out for our patrons this month. Um, we're finally going to do our patrons only episode. It's a little special episode that we're going to throw on our Patreon account for all you guys. Uh, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. And yeah, Brooke, you have anything else you want to add? No, I just want to uh, thank Anthony again for coming on. And uh, yeah, look forward to the future between our two podcasts. Absolutely, man. Can't wait to see what kind of crazy shenanigans we get up to in the future. Hopefully, we can meet in person one day and not kill each other. (laughs) (laughs) If the borders ever open. (laughs) All right. Uh, Signing off. See you later. See you guys. Peace. Hey, Dream Warriors, this is Michael from the We Love Horror podcast, and I'm just leaving this message for you guys to let you know that I'm going to be doing an episode with my boys from Podcast on Elm Street soon, and we are going to be talking about Ringu and its remake, The Ring. So we're just going to talk about, compare and contrast the two movies. Um, I'm really excited, so stay tuned for that, guys. It'll be great.